just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Ill Scholar. Joined with by the illegitimate scholar once again. This is our second time on the good old boy. Your second time with the good old boys, right? Yes, sir. Thanks so much for having me back. Love your your podcast. We, we get into a lot of stuff, so I don't want to I don't want to mess around with with too much introductory stuff. But where can people find you? Um, so I am mostly audio facing podcast, illegitimate scholar on all podcasting apps, ill underscore scholar on Twitter. That's my main social media, and everything is also on YouTube. All right. So if you don't mind, I'm I'm ready to get greasy. Let's let's. Right, dude. I'm ready. I told you what reference materials I got ready. I'm I'm here. Okay, so uh, the best way I can think about these two topics linking together because it's it's a it's sort of um this is something that sort of bothers me. I think about it all the time, and I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. So, like um, and you know, in, in terms of like uh things like the jared diamond question about civilizations or even just like you know if you're what civilizations are good could i see myself as a as a greek or or a nigerian or or a chinese guy all this kind of stuff i think we're gonna be talking about religion and anthropology a little bit i swear everybody else in the in the united states feels and most likely through the western world feels the same way sometimes part of you wants to be Japanese. <laughs> and I I think what that is is that they have a sort of a cohesive culture in terms of uh, they haven't had a lot of immigration. They had this sort of closed off. I, I'm just in it. I'm sort of backfilling the information. I just know that um, you're just like, oh man, they just have something really beautiful there. And, and like, what is an example? And so there's something like maybe we had this in maybe the deep south when I was younger, maybe not, you know, who knows. But like in, in the Western world, there was this thing of like sort of knowing that, oh, Christianity, that's a religion. So there's the guys that work for the religion. They wear those suits. That's the building of the religion. Some people are more. And, and, and that was just that was just it was like, a, but you knew. Well, well, there's also Jews, there's also Islams, there's also pagans, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, you, so you, get, uh, you have trouble in your life, maybe you get into it more, maybe when you're younger you get into it less, blah, blah, blah. But you just sort of knew it as a discrete thing. Kind of like, um, I don't listen to rap music, but I know what rap music is. Uh, mm. they, they got rappers, they got, they got concerts. Uh, they got music videos. I'm not really into that, so I don't really seek that out. But I know, I know what that is. If you look at religion in a place like Japan before, really their their history in terms of like uh, when did they get opened up? Like the 1800s, Admiral yeah, so Perry, uh, mid 1800s, yeah. Mid okay, mid 1800s, 1856, I think. And all the all the the countries that they had contact with basically we'll, we'll leave Russia out of this, but like they had contact with like Korea and China or whatever they were at those times, but they sort of had the same kind of religious stuff anyway. So there was no difference between whatever they had, but in, in their world, uh, it doesn't feel like it feels like, uh, religion doesn't have this sort of discrete location 
like uh, like it does in the West. When you and I don't and I don't know if that's exactly because of like uh, we just say that oh well that's all animism type things is like that and I'm I'm not, I'm specifically talking more about uh, Shinto than Buddhism I believe. No, like, like, yeah, like they're they're all non-Abrahamic. Yeah, you know, this is like something that the the libs just always tried to sneak in, like you know, Judeo-Christian values and whatever. And there was a lot of talk about like uh, Allah and God are the same thing. Judeo-Christian they're, they're, is a modern invention, right? Yeah, in nineteen fifties is the first time you see it. I think. Yeah, and, and like you know, that, that's obviously in the in the history. Uh, the the sons of Abraham have been very quarrelsome with each other. However, it is easier for me to what's the what's the phrase you like to use? Like the theory of mind, right? The, I can understand what's going through the head of a, a guy praying to Mecca. I understand the Jewish person going to synagogue. I don't necessarily understand what's going on when you're practicing Shintoism and to a lesser extent Buddhism. I don't really know. Well, it, 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 it's it's different to me. Well, wait, wait, why, I well, love this so much, guys. Keep well, going, Bog. I love it. Well, I mean, so I don't think it. I don't think it is because and this is why I'm saying is like I don't know if something's missing. So uh, I think so. I don't think on sun on Saturday or Sunday you go to. Uh, a Shintoist thing. I think they, you have, this is all sort of highly localized uh, festivals parade kind of thing. You go to the temple and it's like, so I have a state park around here that everybody loves. Everybody loves it. If like right now I could look out my door and the line of cars on the way to this one state park, is probably miles long. You got to go. You got to go. And there's certain things there you got to do. And everybody does it. Now, I feel like, it, I don't know. It, that doesn't feel a thousand percent distant to me than the whole, uh, than like deers munching. Then you go to the, the <laughs> you go to a nice park where they have all the deers munching corn there, and maybe there's a monk or two. But th- that's getting off topic. What I mean <laughs> is that like, it's it the Shinto thing. You don't have to like you don't like go to Japanese prison and have to sort out your alcoholism to get into Shintoism. It's just sort of around the in the air. From what I understand, you don't have to explain to other people. You all just sort of share this on a certain level <laughs> going going to the penitentiary and converting to shintoism yeah i've never heard of that happening but. right and perhaps maybe it like at the height of the middle ages if you weren't jewish maybe christianity was probably like that i don't know if you went to church every single day but you would go a lot your sort of place in the world was designated by this your 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 uh your 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 church was that de- i mean your, your place and family was dusted by this in terms of like this was just understood and it's not like um it didn't feel so separate and and located you know what i'm saying yes you know I, honestly i i loved everything you guys just said this is going to be an incredible conversation because you're like so many times like i listened back to our first episode uh yesterday and just the way that I would say something from the context of cultural anthropology and you guys would immediately have something from your own background to connect it to, it's just perfect. And the question you asked exactly the right questions, the the details you're talking about are perfect because it, it, and the one thing, uh, Bog, you said this discreet. Okay. That here's the thing. Abrahamic religions are mutually exclusive. 
but that is not the state of religion in the rest of the world. And even the idea of deciding what a religion is, obviously I harp on the term social construct all the time, but the idea that there is something called a religion requires you to make a social construct of what a religion is. And then further, there are institutions to then define and decide what that religion is. And those are culturally informed in the sense that those come out of the culture that created them. So these are Western institutions that come out of places with Abrahamic religions. So when we're talking about religion as something that's discrete and mutual, mutually exclusive, this honestly this is an idea that is an invention of the scientific revolution. You don't have an idea that there is a religion as, as in there could be different religions because prior to the scientific revolution, even in, in Europe and in everywhere in the world, religion is, is just what you do. And in many traditional societies, it is still just what you do. And I have that written down about the state park. That was a perfect example. Um, but Religion, the definition of religion comes out of the scientific revolution. You then you it coincides with the age of exploration and they are thinking about things from the perspective of these scientific questions. And while anthropology, I don't think it should be considered a science. It's a humanity subject. It is based in argument and it uses some scientific methods. But scientific methods in social science are not the same thing as hard science. And it shouldn't be considered that ever. And I know everyone listening to this probably already knows that, but if you don't realize that, it's not hard science, and that means it's not real science. It just can't be, because this stuff is all influenced by humans. So social construct, the Tao that cannot be named is not the eternal Tao, and, and that means that everything, once you start speaking, is out of an understanding that can be immutable, and it's into an understanding that is informed by human culture and by how humans think. And when you have this definition of a religion, this definition of religion, which comes out of the scientific revolution, I know I, I said that before, I'm harping on it, because only after the scientific revolution, which coincided with the age of exploration, when you have these explorers going out, these first anthropologists of the age of exploration, these are just ship's captains and maybe gentlemen that are, that are on these trips that are making a name for themselves. And they're writing about other cultures. And the nature of the scientific method necessitated breaking down culture, breaking down human society in, into its cons, uh, commensurate parts, into the individual parts. So anthropologists, when creating the field of anthropology and the precursors to it, had to decide to designate different parts of social life. So they had to compartmentalize it. They had to make econ economics, what the definition of an economy is what the definition of a religion is, what the definition of a government is, what the definition of these different political entities. But every time you do that, you're then defining something as a part of a whole when really all of these things are generally inter interconnected. And in the culture, when you have the idea that they are disconnected, that's how you interact with the world and it plays into everything you do. But really, in everywhere in the world prior to the scientific... Um, to the scientific revolution and in most of the world today, the idea that religion works in this way and that it's disconnected from the rest of your life is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense from a Western perspective. And I'm not saying that as some blue haired person coming out and harping on Western um, Western civilization, but it's a fact that every single culture has its own values and those are culturally informed. Um, 
so I have more to say, but I've been talking for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So real, real quick, two two quick points. So mm-hmm. with Shintoism, everybody knows that you can't be a white guy living in Philadelphia and become a Shintoist. That's ridiculous. You mm-hmm. you're not over there in Japan going to the sumo match. You're and if you are Japanese and you're in Philadelphia, you whatever party you have, you're have. It's kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like if you're if you're if you're uh, Arab Islam, you point to Mecca, you pray towards Mecca, uh, all the all this kind of stuff. But also, it's funny that like we know who some we know the character of a person who doesn't abide by this sort of modern separation. We have mm-hmm. a name for it. It's called, and ironically enough, we call it the Renaissance man. Which is like the Renaissance. The Renaissance. That's probably the end of this. You know, we you have these people yeah. like uh, Francis Leads Bacon didn't didn't understand that there had that there was this huge gap between all these different all these different uh, things, and they're all sort of strictly categorized. Thank you. Well, you know, uh, Shinto. I, I I don't I don't know anything about Shinto, so I don't want to go buck wild and like uh you know I don't want to get caught in a dark alley and somebody whip out a katana because i said something said something wrong but none like, of us know because we're not japanese yes and you it, can't you some of the aspects of Sh- of shinto s- remind me of like the the roman religion not in the sense of like oh there's zeus is uh, turning into a bull and seducing women but the part where you for lack of a better term you you worship your ancestors like that was a huge thing for the romans you would have you know you would have your 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 death masks and you would you would pr- pray to the people who came before you and that's like a big part of what the Japanese do. This uh, by the way, the different gods in the Roman culture were essentially like maybe not the main main guys, but like each city basically had their god. Yeah, so you're practically well, each, worshiping your city. Each household had a god. You had the you had literally the household gods. That that's the part of the like the Japanese that that I got compared to that and that is both foreign to us and kind of incompatible with a like we said before being christians it's not really that's not the way we do it and b unfortunately the direction that the that the the west has gone in is kind of is is counter to that because frankly we are taught to i won't say not value but increasingly we are literally told you shouldn't value your ancestors it doesn't matter it has nothing to do with you you should be totally deracinated you should be separating yourself from the law if you're white yes and and we'll we'll get into that with mr diamond's work yeah but but by the way it's not foreign to us that's like it is foreign to us but if you take away the scientific designation and you look at uh let's say you're christian in the middle ages you you go to the holy land you might you might and part of your life you're supposed to go take a walk down the camino de santiago you you walk the path of the pilgrims now you're doing now you're now you're in the zone now you're doing all this stuff you know that you know what i'm saying well yeah and our our friend samuel here kind of hinted at this earlier It, it, it might be easier for you and me to understand part of this being from prevent like provincial parts of the south because like i i do understand the you know having your having the statue of your ancestors and you you know my mom would drag me to well not drag me i liked going we go to the we go to the cemetery look at the uh, look at the 
ancestors who died in the Civil War. We go to the battlefields. We talk about that. Uh, I would, you know. What if I said I was a neo-Confederate and I told you I'd never been to Stone Mountain? <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, the part of the South I'm from, you don't you don't have to go there. We don't do the Hodge. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I understand that but part. I understand thing, the You probably ancestor. look at me the same way. I haven't been to Gettysburg. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Hey, look, you've never been that far ab- above the Mason-Dixon line. That's a huge flex for you. Yeah. I would, I would never uh, have you soil yourself by st- uh, stepping right. on the Yankees. But, but you've been to, but th- uh, something like a Civil War reenactment, which happens all oh, the yeah. time. Oh yeah, we went every year when I was a kid. To, to I participated to in the 150th Battle of Bentonville with the uh, oh, 50th yeah. North Carolina. I was a Yankee in the the gray clothes. So you know how they say white Sharia? Well, you're doing white Shintoism when you're doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, no, I, I um I was in the Marine Corps and I was invited by a guy who was from the South and a Confederate war reenactor. Um, I would have been a Yankee if he had been a Union reenactor, but he was a Confederate, so I went with him and his buddies. It was a good time. Me and another guy from Connecticut, actually. Like the, you're like the opposite of a galvanized Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> galvanized Confederate. <laughs> I'm I'm third generation American. Most of my like most of my ancestors are are post Civil War, so it's it it it's not me. I don't connect it to my identity. Yeah, it, it, Did you it, go to basic in what's what's the uh you go to basic in either what you go to either in San Diego or Paris, Paris Island South or Paris Carolina. Island yeah. yeah Paris Island South Carolina is East Coast. So I'll, I'll tell you though you know the Civil War thing isn't isn't strictly necessary. My my great aunt who was also like she was really into what we called white Shintoism. She moved. She and her husband moved to New Jersey. She lived in the South her whole life. She went up there and she just became all about the Revolutionary War. They went to Revolutionary War reenactments, which yeah. they do up there. And you know, oh, our yeah. family's is, is old enough that we you know we had people who fought there too. But that became mm-hmm. her thing when she moved up there because that's what they did. And, so, and sorry. No, I'm just saying. So, so you know, yeah, it's it's all the same. No matter where you are geographically, it's mm-hmm. it's your relationship with your ancestors. So I, I'm involved with the history community and in, in my local area, and I, I used to uh, work at the historical society in my home county. And our, um, I actually disagree with her on this a lot. But my old, the old assistant director who was there, she was doing a lot of stuff with Benedict Arnold. And in my county, Benedict Arnold burned. He was from a town in the county farther north. And then the town, my hometown, he burned down. He, he burned it down and killed a bunch of his like neighbors. So we the, hate him. The massacre. We, yeah. He, right. he, he, he didn't he claim later on that his, his troops went, you know, went buck wild without his permission, but he probably told them not to, but you're still a traitor. You, you still, Hell yeah, you're still a traitor. Fuck you. Um, and he, uh, he burned down New London. They do every year, um, and I, I go to it. They we do a burning of Benedict Arnold, like it's a ceremonial <laughs> in burning in effigy. I swear <laughs> to God, based three miles from where I grew up, and and everybody chants, yelling, "Burn the traitor!" and stuff. They do a march down the down the main the main city uh, main city walk, like the main street. Hell oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and I I have a video. I'll. I'll I hope I still have it of us, of me, um, like chanting with like a thousand people on this pier to burn this effigy. And they remove his leg because his leg is the only honorable part of him because he lost it at Saratoga defeating the British. 
His his leg is still buried uh, at the battlefield, but they they I think they his like it's like it just the stone just says here's the leg of a patriot and they didn't put his name on it right is that is that, is that how is that how it went <laughs> yeah by the way I mean not yeah. everybody might know this I, but uh, the point of this is not about <laughs> Benedict Arnold the point of this is about the people you know what I'm saying yeah yeah and it, and it's you know with the Confederate stuff like. I know I've talked about this before. I did that episode on symbols, but like people have a right to remember their ancestors and you shouldn't impose your values on other people. I really do not like it when people from the North say things about the Confederate flag and the Confederate statues, because they're just, they're just pushing their own values on a separate culture. And they don't view it that way because they think people from the South have the same culture as them. But I've been to all 50 States and I can tell you that there is different cultures in each one. And there's similarities between some and there's regional differences, but the idea that somebody who has a very different life than you, who grew up in a place with a very different history, should have the same values of, as you is a disgusting idea. And if you treat it, and, and if these woke liberals treated black people or brown people or immigrants the way that they treated white Southerners, then they would be ashamed of themselves. But they don't. They don't view white Southerners with any sort of agency. And it disgusts me to my core. Well, you know, the last time I got into something with a guy about this and he was going off about oh, the South was so terrible. And the thing is like, it doesn't, that didn't really, that doesn't bother me because I mean, you know, whatever you like, uh, you know, what are you going to convince me or something? But my only, my response to him was like, I said, like, I just hope that you love where you're from or wherever you're doing you know, sometimes people move when they're young or something like that, or whatever you're, whatever you're doing, I hope you love that as much as I love the South. Cause, cause like, I promise you, I love the South. I like, I 10 is my, my home. It's my mm -hmm. world. And I just, I just, cause like, if you don't, then, well, you're always going to feel this way because you're, and that's what you're really upset about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's vin it's vindictive, and like we we we've I, I would say I didn't necessarily know this, you know when I, when was the fir the first round of iconoclasm? Probably when that woman who became famous for climbing up the flagpole and taking down the Confederate flag, you know, Bald Beef and I and our friend, we did the first like good old boys, I guess prequel or whatever. Uh, around that time and we, it was actually about the confederate flag we, we recorded a podcast but it wasn't good and we just deleted it and that was was that 2014 13 whatever whenever mm. whenever that happened I, mean, I, I i it would be funny to go back and listen to it because i i really didn't see how vindictive this was back then i was kind of like eh you know it's not that big or, or i think our position in the podcast was the flag like, we, we ironically we talked about the general lee and and the you know the good old the good old boys from the Dukes of Hazard. We yeah. didn't view it that way, but now I see they they do. Like it is it yeah. is explicitly about destroying their their present day you know political enemies. You know what's funny the the woman that did that. You know who did that? It was like Bree whatever Newsom right? Bree Newsom. She's yeah. one of my favorite people on Twitter because yeah, uh, yeah there's there's a future in it apparently. If you see my if you ever see a tweet where I make where I I, I use the word gamer. Or, I'll, or uh, like I'll say, like um, you know, there's a game, there's a genocide of gamers right now. No one's doing anything about. It. All those tweets are just uh, I just search, I just look at Brittany 
uh, Bree Newsom's tweets, and I just changed the word black to gamer, and I tweet it. <laughs> it, always, it always gets a million. It always gets a million likes. <laughs> oh my god! I, I didn't, didn't know that. that. I didn't realize that either. I've, All those tweets are just straight up Bree Newsom tweets. With one word change. <laughs> That's appropriation. Is wrong. Oh my god. Yeah, it's appropriation for them to be talking about that when really it's gamers that are oppressed in our society. Exactly. Exactly. She's, she's a, uh, I don't know if he's just a little bit of a psychotic propagandist. Everything she says is the most over the top crazy thing. So it's, it, uh, it works really well for that. Let me, let me try to connect these dots a little bit. So if they always say, they always call Herodotus the father of history, right? Because he was the first historian, or at least the, the first historian whose who's texts survived in, into from yeah. antiquity. I mean, it wouldn't pass for history even in our circles today, but you know. No, but he was also kind of the first anthropologist too for the same reason, because he dabbled in that, in, in his works. Very surface level, because Well, it, it wasn't compartmentalized back then, and that's right. a good thing. These different fields, they don't talk to each other enough, and that's why what we do is so good, because we do. Yeah, and uh, you know, other later, a lot, of, especially the Greeks and the Romans, really got into this later, and they. Had, what made me think of this was you talking about, like you know, the the you know British gentleman anthropologists when during the age of discovery, especially in the South Sea Islands, like every ship captain, if he wanted to, could become not an amateur anthropologist, a legit anthropologist. And the way they would yeah. view these people who they were meeting, a lot, a lot of them who had been completely uncontacted by Westerners ever, this is the first time yeah. they met them, they would kind of you know, look at these people and say, "Here, look at this weird stuff these people do. And yeah. sometimes they would try to, I guess, model how these people, how their lives could be improved by assimilating them to, to, to Western values. And that's like a very, uh, for lack of a better word, a very Chad way of going about that. Like you're, you're projecting yourself onto the world. You're literally on the other side of the planet. You're making moves. You're looking at people. You're categorizing them. You're, you're trying to convert them to your religion. That's a very muscular version of, of, of anthropology. Fast forward to 1997 and you got a guy in the same region, an American, uh, Jared Diamond, who who has has been around Polynesians for for at that point twenty years or twenty five years, he says, and he he just he's uh, he's got the totally opposite attitude. He's looking at these people who are different from him. His job is to, is he's a he's a scholar, he's an academic, and he's like his, the the book starts out basically him just. Uh, I don't want to be crude, but he's kissing their he's kissing their collective asses. About he has how, to, how even great, in the '90s. Yeah, how great and superior they are, and uh, that that's that's not what he's really doing, but that's the way he's presenting it. And I, I was just I, I couldn't help but think if the you know the person if the people who are like you've seen Master and Commander, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, you know, Master and Commander. Obviously, they're studying. They're going to the Galapagos and studying. Uh, 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 sort of flora and fauna, but mm -hmm. like those guys would be disgusted by Jared Diamond, his attitude, his womanly yeah. attitude towards things. Where did anthropology and academia go, begin to go wrong? Do you think? Just, just briefly, when, well, it, when it comes to study of this, guys, I have, God, I have. Uh, we could talk for nine hours right now. I have so many <laughs> notes, and each of them is a podcast itself. But, um, so anthropology, it's like it started getting. 
it, it really goes back to the 60s, man. I mean, yeah. it, cultural Marxism, it gets in. <laughs> but anthropology up till the 60s was not like this. But now anthropology, because it's so related to the study of other cultures, it's the thing that absorbed so much of this white guilt and this uh, first world guilt for um, a better term. And it, it like they produce things like based on that. And that's why so much of it is is so difficult today. And, and so like it's it's so woke and so over the top and, and like. But the thing is, I mean, that's reflective of the way that Western culture developed and it developed into this victim complex um, as it, you know, as it has atrophied into its its old age probably um but but i have a you know i have a couple of things and a few things that you guys said um was was that sufficient answer to your question yeah absolutely yeah we don't want to we don't want to dwell on that and and, you know i I, i'll i'll speak i'll speak for bog beef you know when we're talking when we're talking about what happened in the 60s why did this happen and you know the guilt stuff It, it it it's not really guilt what it is is they figured out a way to, if, as long as you can, as you can find someone culpable for some past crime, you can use uh, civil rights justifications to do anything. And like yeah. this is part of what his, not Jared. Uh, I mean, it is Jared. What Jared Diamond's doing in a very early and like a, a primitive version of it in his book. But like now in the two thousand, you know, in the twenty twenties, it, it's it's been turbocharged. This is just like all they do nonstop is looking for things that they can, you know, libel the, right. in, in the entire caucasoid race with. Right. And, and, you know, part of this is, is that the compartmentalization of, of different fields and like, this is a technocracy thing. Obviously we talk mm. about that, but like the field of anthropology is the one that gets to decide what a religion is in the minds of people, because that's the field that deals with this. So when they get to decide what a religion is, then, you know, with the way that money moves around and who gets the funding and what research gets done and what their outcome is going to be based on like what they want to research and what they want to get, they can they can get money in to define a religion, excuse me, in a certain way, which then changes it in the mind of the people who go to the experts in the law system, which is institutionalized codified laws that then supports this based on that definition in a lot of ways that they can do this wokeism crap and they can present it as not a religion, even though it has so many religious elements to it in a lot of ways. And this allows them a lot of power to play with words and definitions and change them. And then in the collective minds of people change certain things. And this is like, it's funny because it's cultural Marxism, but it uses the free market in the best way possible. And, you know, gets into the minds of the future PhD students and the future public education teachers, the fields that are most important in carrying on the uh, cultural traditions are the most overly left wing, their education, their um, anthropology and sociology and psychology, all of these are the most left wing in a time when professors are disproportionately left wing when that was not true 60, 70 years ago. And this has been a, a concerted effort, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. But it is important. Um, okay, so a few things. So cultural relativity, this is something we talked about last time. And cultural relativity, as it is applied in everyday speech, and it's usually applied by people that are my ideological enemies who hate me just based on the simple questions that I asked. The cultural relativity is a modern thing, right? So we're thinking about cultures opposite cultures and different cultures 
uh, from the context of their own culture. But what's going on is they are applying cultural relativity to other cultures, but they're not applying it to their own culture. So, oh, yeah, you know, and, and this is an inward bias, a, a anti in group bias that has been found to be in liberal white people. Their liberal white people are the only combination of race and um, political affiliation or or political leaning that has an in group bias against itself. Conservative and moderate white people are fine. Every other race, conservative and liberal, are do have an in-group bias. It's just white liberals that hate themselves, and they quantified it with social science. And this is this is what the people who hold these views believe in, the social science, so they should listen to that, but they just ignore it. The discreteness, the mutual exclusivity of religion, this is something that is tied in with Abrahamic religions, which are tied in, and most people won't think about it this way because... It has been compartmentalized in the minds of people, but the Abrahamic religions are tied in with Western culture, which means that those ideas are in the heads of people when they're going to define religion. So the definition that they get to with religion is one that is mutually exclusive because Abrahamic religions are mutually exclusive. And then they define other religions based on these things that they decide, like monotheism and polytheism. So there's this debate, is Hindu a monotheistic or a polytheistic religion? Because it has one God of many parts. Really, it's, I would say it's more monotheism, but regardless, it's defining it from the terms of Western civilization. So then um, you guys are going to hate this. <laughs> you guys are going to hate this part, um, but I'm sorry um, for this. So Protestantism. Protestantism is inherently tied in with the uh, creation of the scientific method, the modern world, the age of enlightenment, and the age of exploration. And so with Protestantism, Protestantism is even more of a monotheistic religion than, um, and I'm sorry if I'm doing these things out of order, I'm just responding to the notes I took when you were talking. Protestantism is much more of a monotheistic religion than Catholicism. And I say that to say like, one of you is bringing up uh, religions in different places and how they react with different cultures. And that is a very true thing. Religions will interact with the other cultures that gives birth to them. So the, these other things that wouldn't have been compartmentalized in the past. So you have Islam, which comes out of Bedouin Arab cultures and the cultural tra traditions of Bedouin nomads, these traders, traders, T-R-A-D-E-R-S, not Benedict Arnold, but these Bedouin nomadic people, that is in Islam, that is part of Islam, that, that you can see the influences in Islam. With Catholicism, there were a lot of uh, revolts in the 1500s, 1600s. I'm recently, I've been doing a thing on Francis Drake um, for the Dissident Review, by the way. Shout out to the Dissident Review. They're amazing. Alaric um, edits it. They're doing great uh, dissident anthropology and historical work against this, like all the woke crap. So I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but they're amazing. Um, but I'm trying. I'm writing a thing on Francis Drake for them, and Francis Drake was a Protestant. And I, I was looking at these um, in Catholicism. In ca Catholicism was a religion that incorporated ancient religions into their religion. So it, it was this new religion that comes out, but they have saints, right? So I, I, I know you guys are both Protestant, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my family's very Irish. My, my mother grew up Catholic and even like two 
to me in the 21st century, I'm growing up and my mom, when something's happening, where she's telling, she's talking to me about St. Anthony, I'm losing something, uh, what, St. Peter? There, there was a rhyme, I'm forgetting it. But there are these different saints that she invokes in different situations. And those saints are a Catholic invention, right? But really, that is the way that through the, uh, through the culture, they incorporated these more ancient religious traditions into what would have in the past been called a pantheon. But when you have this one God that's above it, you then put them a level lower to saints. So Catholicism was allowing these cultural traditions of localism to continue within the context of this new situation with this Catholic, which is Catholicism. So it protected a lot of these ancient cultural practices, whereas Protestantism becomes, and this is obviously an argument, I'm not telling you this in fact, Protestantism, um, and this was the perception of the, the Catholic rebels in Cornwall, as well as those in Ireland and Scotland, against the, the Protestant colonists and, um, and English crown, was that it was their traditional culture that was protected within the confines of Catholicism. I don't take offense to that. There's, okay, especially yeah. because, um, so going back all the way to uh, the sort of early councils and stuff, sort of pre even predate even, even predating Protestantism, uh, when you just had uh, uh, Catholicism and, ortho uh, and, and Orthodoxy. I don't know when exactly. When was the split? Um, when was the Great Schism or whatever? Four hundreds or five hundreds. After the schism, you know, each side it has some kind of thing like this that they're that they're always accused of that is sort of. In the background, possibly it's there. Maybe it's a tendency like, of course, the Orthodox were always accused of tending into Arianism, which if I believe is, oh, I can't remember if, that there is, there is a little bit of polytheism accusation in that, but it's mostly, it's, it's saying that like you're, you're basically sort of diminishing Jesus and putting uh, uh, Lord God, Father above everything, but it, but you know that's the accusation of them. And then the Catholics get accused, uh, uh, sort of have this sort of tendency that uh, when that goes wrong, it goes this way, blah blah blah. So that all that stuff's always been there, and um, probably there is some truth that the, these these tendencies uh, do exist, and and etc. Yeah, well, I would just say it, it's. I won't say it, it's obvious and it's true, but it's it's a really good theory because. Like you know, the you you were speaking on behalf of Catholicism. Like when well, Protestantism is practiced in the United States, at least I don't know what they're doing in Europe. Well, they're not doing anything in Europe now. Those people are all becoming atheists or or, or changing or changing their denominations. Like that, you cannot, you really can't separate. Uh, you can't separate mainline Protestant uh, Protestant Protestantism. From like the North, the North Sea, uh, Western Europeans, and you can't separate evangelical Christianity from our people in mm -hmm. in the United States. And I'll just be chauvinistic, especially in the South. That's just yeah. part of who we are. And that, like, yeah. you know, what a lot of our theology, the, like, I, don't know, I, I, I always hate saying this because I don't want to, I don't want to get in, I don't want to get in trouble with God. But like. You, well, theology is a bad way. Our our religious customs are definitely heavily influenced by our our culture and our, the way our ancestors behaved. And you can tell this by looking at the way, like Scots Irish and and uh, American 
English people behave. Like it's just it's it's a specific it's the the thing specific to them. Somebody from Italy probably wouldn't understand it. If you took if you took them <laughs> if if you took them to a Pentecostal church service, they'd be confused. The, the, so just in um to try to be fair, what what are some of the obvious uh like like uh uh, uh well, I mean, I think people if you live in America, you're more familiar with the sort of faults of Protestantism, but like something like uh tv like uh, uh televangelists that's that's a protestant a heresy they don't really have a problem with that in yeah. orthodoxy and stuff like that stuff um probably less so in the south but i mean built into it uh you like the sort of problem with sort of uh woke bureaucratizing because you have like sort of uh r- rule by the deacons and stuff that can turn into uh commodity blah 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 those are, are sort of our uh, 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 tendencies that can go wrong. Blah, blah. Those but, are RLs, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it, it's so – God, there's so much still I want to say. Number one, the Great Schism was in 1054. I was thinking of an earlier schism um, that was local to somewhere else. But, um, yeah, so yeah, Orthodox – We're almost – No, We're no, almost I, what? I, I was going to say we're almost exactly a thousand years from it, but uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so orthodox tending into polytheism. Um, that reflects to me, and I have I have pages of notes on this today. Uh, the Indo-European ancestors that that reflects to me the uh, the Indo-European ancestors were were nomads. They were nomad peoples that that came out of the Pontiac steppes, and that is the root of forty five percent of world culture because it extends through India and and into the Americas and Europe, most of Europe besides Hungary and Finland. Um, and orthodoxy tending into polytheism to me is a reflection of a closer to tradition results of orthodoxy absorbing the tendencies of Indo-Europeans and not being as influenced by new ideas. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm biased. I'm Catholic perspective. I'm not practicing Catholic, but I am, I am culturally Catholic. If that's a thing, if you could be culturally Jewish, you could be culturally Catholic. I had to listen to my mom talk about saints my whole goddamn childhood. So yeah, I'm culturally, oh, none of this stuff matters what you're doing right now. This is all your, yeah. your, your basic beliefs. So like, if you tell a Southern Baptist that, um, it's totally fine to drink alcohol, you're going to get like, you'll say, but Jesus turned water to wine. You're going to get like, a, uh, well, eh. <laughs> yeah. okay. Maybe there was one of these, I can't remember which one. Is um, the thing where you, you, you go tell them, hey, did you know Jesus sneezed and defecated and stuff like that? They go, mm, yeah, I don't know. Eh, <laughs> I guess technically, uh, it, 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 I don't, you know, I don't. It's so that, you know, if you, if you ask them, put it in writing, they say, okay, yeah, I guess. But th- th- these are just the, these, these these little things in the back of these uh, uh, different flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. that was the stuff they used to kill each other over in the Middle Ages and the in late antiquity was like the the exact nature of Christ, which we've kind of and I don't know in America we've we've moved past that in arguing about other things. But like that was in the early days of the church was really what they were what they were fighting and killing each other over. And like this really, if you, a lot of the origin of not the schism but like the the uh, probably the one you think like the 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 300s you know the around the the Constantine's council like that's what they what they were quarreling over yeah as they should be 
Because fighting over the metaphorical understanding of what God is, is reflective of a traditional society and how they view and interact with the world. And today, I I'd like, I would much rather, as, as a veteran, as a Marine Corps veteran, I would much rather die fighting over the metaphorical understanding of what God is than fighting and dying for Halliburton and woke agenda and, you know, freaking pride parades and, and drone striking children, you know? So uh, this gets into the, the root of like what a culture is because cultures and religions, they're reflective of the society um, that, that they live in. So nomadic pastoralists, the reason that you can see these, these orthodox orthodoxy tending towards polytheism is because it has those roots of those nomadic steppe peoples that all Indo-European people came from. Um, all of us it being Indo-European, like Hungarian, but they're ethnically still Indo-European and I don't speak Hungarian. So it, it, the language, which does affect how you view the world, isn't a part of that. Milk drinkers. Milk drinkers. hundred percent. Milk drinking is a thing. And also milk drinking. The fact that people were milk drinking and the, the, the fact that they had animals was reflective in the way that they, they view the world and nature gods and, and the position of aurochs and cows and all this stuff. It's all connected. Yeah. I mean. If if you if you like if you like to have a good time, I, I like looking up the etymology of words, and it's it's really easy now because they have you know the, the, the Wikipedia and the Wiktionary stuff. If you look at the on the Wiktionary, it doesn't matter if the words Greek, Latin, English, Germanic, whatever. You keep clicking back. This comes from the root from this. It comes from Old Germanic. It comes from Old Saxon, which comes from eventually you get to Indo-European or Proto-Indo-European, mm -hmm. and you know the words for like uh, father. And uh, in, in all these very dis disparate and different cultures that, you know, Roman culture and uh, we'll say Scandinavian culture, pretty different. But they came, they, they're all from the same same uh, roots on the tree. Yeah. And, and they, just these people who. <laughs> and then they change over time with the new situations they're in. This is like, okay, I guess it's, it's 45 minutes. You're saying in. we came from the same thing that Albanians did? <laughs> But yes, but then they Albanians get the influence of the Ottoman Empire, and that changes people. Yeah, oh. and they, who, well, yeah, don't worry, not like us, the, <laughs> not like us at all. I was gonna say the the I don't know about see when the Ottomans, it's it's so confusing. But like, if you go back to the if you go back to the OGs, they're uh, the Turkic peoples are are they part of the Indo that? It's when you say Turkic peoples, that's like that's like. A, a giant list of people. The Ottomans are they from the Indo-European root, or are they? No, they, I didn't they're, think so. Um, they're related, not directly, but they're related to Hungarian uh, a little bit out. Right, you, you, if you if you had to, if you're talking this part of the world, and and this is I'm I'm not a, a scholar, legitimate or otherwise. Like I think you could probably, if if especially what we're going to be talking about, we could say Indo-European. Semitic peoples, and then the Turkic thing is is kind of its own thing. And in this region, that kind of covers everything. We're not if we're talking about like you know what we traditionally call Europe. Would, would, well, would that be correct? The the other thing, no, okay. So and the Basques can't forget them. Whatever the they Basques, are. the Basques are pre-Indo-European. Yeah. The Sami, which are the they're called the indigenous people, but they're yeah. not. I mean, they they came from uh, the Ural steppes. And Finland and Hungary. And what's very important is that language, if, if you're going to pick cultural anthropology, what I do um, is 
the most important thing is always language. Language changes the way you interact with the world. I have pages yep. on this. We can talk about it later. But the fact that Hungary is still speaking a Uralic language and so does Finland, that is very important to the way that they interact with the world. Um, but yeah, the Basques, the Sami, the Hungarians, and the Finns are the only exceptions. Celts, Celts are still Indo-European. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the Celts are, like, whoever the Basques were, and this is, I know this is a point of contention about exactly who they were. It, it's, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it used to be, they, it was believed that they are the remnants of what Europe was before the Indo-Europeans, and like, part of the, the people who became the Celts killed them off and, and took yeah. their women basically. And, so, and, and, and you can tell this, you can go into specific anthropology papers and you, you can tell whether the population, like where the mother root is from and where the father root is from. And yeah. generally with ancient populations, this is not consensual in the modern perception of the world, which uh, there wouldn't be one in ancient times. So for last time I, I checked, I looked into this, you know, it's been years now, but the, when they were doing these genetic studies, they found that during the time of the, because, you know, back, way back yeah. in the day, before, like even before the guy that we're eventually going to talk about, it was kind of like, well, we're not sure exactly what this relationship, like, were they just, did they just come in and culturally take over this place or did they commingle <laughs> or whatever? Well, they, 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 you know, they ran the numbers with the genetics. Like, no, actually what happened is they came in and they killed all the men and they took their, took their women for themselves. And if yeah. If you're above X tall male, you die. If you're under X tall, you're going to be trained to be, you, we're going to keep you because we can, we can, uh, uh, strap a sword and a shield to you at some point. Uh, and, and you're young enough that we can indoctrinate you. If you're old enough woman, you're going to be raped, blah, 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 blah. It, it's, it, this well, is, humans these were know institutionalized how to do ideas about how they did this as well. I, I mean, you could go further when we're talking about the Indo-Europeans. Like the, the first part might not even be true. They might not even have kept the young, the young boys around. But like, yeah, like the Romans and the Greeks kind of did that, but we don't know if they did because if, if, if that was the case, wouldn't you expect more like, patrilineal DNA admixture than there is like if well, it was it, you know they had a they had a solution for that that some cultures did yeah 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 um <laughs> yeah so uh, prior to the Indo-European people there was the Neanderthals existed in Europe first um and then there was another wave of people that came in and then those people were entirely taken over and the Basque people are essentially the only remnant and then Europe was mostly Celts and then there was an expansion from Northern Europe that but the, the Celts were Indo-European but then there was another expansion from Northern Europe and that's why most like Ger Germanic blood is just everywhere and that's why my blood is 70% Irish and I look like this um yeah. yeah yeah well by the way I mean so this is one of the things about um it's kind of like a disappointment like uh I think everybody has had that moment where you uh I guess now you just sort of get approached by this stuff but you'll watch be watching tv and like uh, here's so-and-so. So one of my, one of my best friends in high school was, uh, the most American kind of guy. I mean, he went to Baptist church twice a week. He hunted and fished, fished. And, um, well, maybe that doesn't count for this, but, uh, he was just, just, uh, any, like any good old boy. And he was like either half or a hundred percent Indian blood. Yeah. And they didn't really do anything with that stuff anymore. Blah, blah. However, uh, like it, if you would like, we went one time, we took a field trip to the local Indian tribe, whatever. And like, we're like, 
these people are all pretty low, pretty white. They're pretty white. You go to, of course, Japan had like the, the Japan's current emperor slash king. They had a, they had the sort of this this emperor slash what who the other guy was, uh, system that all came from the first guy to get together enough dudes to go kill the natives that were in Japan. There's, yeah, I knew, right? Yeah. Now there's still like yeah. so like there was a moment where I was like. Oh gosh, I want to Google the Ainu to see what they look like. And of course, if you Google them now, you'll see people, and it's the exact same thing. They have like little teepees, they have little fur houses or whatever, and you can tell these people are 100% blood Japanese now. I mean, there's no difference. You, you, they, they look exactly the same because mm-hmm. it's been a long time and stuff happens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, they got. There's a lot of that still. They were conquered, and being Ainu was eventually became low status and becoming you know uh, east asian whatever whatever you want to call yeah. it. i'm sure there's an official definition of what like the japanese it's like the encomienda system in latin america and the caste system yeah. in india it happens every place just based on different factors happened in england as well which we imported here by the way <laughs> the funny thing is like I- i'm glad you brought up the indo-europeans because i got a lot of stuff on them we'll get, we'll get there's a-, a gif you sent me actually i was like okay i'm gonna look at this specifically well, and we've me uh, when we've talked about stuff in the past. I, I, I think I mentioned it when on when you and you talked with us last time, but it's come up uh, quite a bit lately. Uh, especially, I, I referenced it recently, and someone on Patreon blew me up because I said like that the Indo-Europeans were pretty much better at everything than the other groups except for creating religions, and the the, the Indo-European uh, religions were pretty weak, and they were quickly replaced by by outside religions. Like That's you, a feature, not a bug, brother. Exactly. And somebody somebody blew me up on that. But I, I stand oh, okay. by I stand by that. But this I, I was thinking about this because, you know, the 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 genesis of this podcast was I was thinking we should talk about, you know, why like, how these differences happen. Why why do cultures develop? Why are people why are people different? And my starting point was I think I I thought it should be Jared Diamond Guns, Germs, and Steel. Not because it's a, it's a great work, because it's not. A, and I'm, I'm sure you I'm sure you'll have something to say about this. It is not a it was not a book written for scholars. It was not a book written no. for anthropologists. It was written for for reg for normies, and and I'm I'm pretty sure it was po- very poorly sourced, and I. I Probably made Strong. a lot of cheddar off of it. He did. <laughs> it, 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 it is it's a top anthropology book, is what we call it. And you, you, I, I was struggling. How could I explain this? And then you just nailed it when you talked about it. You said, "Like this is the last work in the before time. This is like the transitionary period. If we were doing like, if it was geology, this would be the end of an epoch. This mm-hmm. would be the the great uh, the great die off of." Cultural relativism, like Jared Diamond, is a hardcore cultural relativist, and and that is kind of a he's kind of a dinosaur. They don't really they don't really do that anymore. They do cultural relativism except white people now. That's just, yes, and, and any other dominant cultures. So the Japanese and like the modern Chinese wouldn't get it either in America, at least. So the central thesis of his book is that he. he it starts out. It's hilarious. He he's in New Guinea with his Polynesian friends who are like. I, it's not clear if the, they're, they're Melanesian. Not, I think. Oh, the cringe is coming towards me. I can remember. It, it's so <laughs> cringy. Yeah, um, they're not hunter gatherers anymore. But they're like they're not modern people yet either. And one of his these yeah. people is an innocent 
the noble savage figure asks him, so why is it that your people made all this? Why do you have airplanes and we and, and we are not that? Why are we still yeah. living here in these huts? Well, his, he, his part here was that right before he said that, he talked about how useless of a person that he was. So he said that I'm Jared Diamond. I can basically write papers. This guy can hunt. He, yeah. He can. Uh, he can uh, stand out. He, he can live without air conditioning. Um, all these kinds of things, which he might not have been wrong about that. But um, you know, Jared Diamond ain't the only white white guy in the world. That's a, yeah. that's a that's a great point. I'm glad you sniffed that out because like what he starts in his little preamble is that he's saying first of all he wants to get this on the record that. Uh, obviously, like the Western people are 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 worse than the the person he's talking to, the New Guinea guy who lives in the jungle, and I don't I don't know what he, he does. He might he might be a fisherman or whatever. It, he's like you, if, if you're reading this, you're worse than this guy too. And, and this is kind of the you talk about relativism, but not for for white people. What, what yeah. it is is like imagine if um, Samuel like if I said. This is we should be a should have, He should have brought Tom Brady with him and had Tom Brady throw a coconut and see see what those and they, those names were like. <laughs> Holy shit! Holy shit! This guy, yeah. You know, you, you you see these people when it comes to like say male feminism, right? That like there's this guy and like he's speaking on behalf of men, right? And that's not what he's doing. He's attacking. He's attacking everybody with a penis, but he he's saying like. I, I, I'm saying this as a man, and then I'm going to say all these things that are like vindictive and hateful about about our sex. Please have you're, sex with me. Yeah, yeah. You're not really speaking on behalf of men. You're attacking it as you, yeah. You, you, you've you built a wooden horse and you pushed it into the city walls, and yeah. that's what he's doing. Like straight out of the gate, immediately, he's telling you these people like we're we're bad. We are less than than these people, and uh, that's. That's they they have doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on that since he wrote this book in 1997. But yeah. he's kind of a bridge between the old way, which is you know, uh, old relativism was like, oh, you can't judge everybody's beautiful and different. They w- blew past that, and now we've got to the point where like, yeah, you're you're genetically evil because of of your descent, and people in the third world or whatever. They're angelic, beautiful people, and we need. Like, they're the chosen ones. I don't think okay. they, they care about those kinds of third third world people they, anymore. They, they don't. They, but they, now they just talk about immediate political concerns. Right? They they never did. That was always about that. But they changed their rhetoric, the way they think, and they changed the way they think about the world too. I I really do think they have changed that. Okay, so I have an opposite perspective here. Just one <laughs> for this one. I need to hone in. <laughs> This is the first time that having video chat has ever added something to the GOB podcast. I I thank you for that. That's why I didn't turn it off. Um, (laughs) Okay. So look, yes, I I, I get your perspective there, but I, okay, so there's these terms, emic and etic. And an emic perspective is an insider's perspective from your your own culture. Your etic perspective is the um is your is a perspective from outside the culture so this is him applying cultural relativism now this was a pop anthropology book that came out in the 90s his foreword yes i understand it's this cow towing to all this crap i get that but at the same time i think what needs to be said here is the importance 
of how people will take your message. And this is an example that I want to briefly touch on is that the libertarians, the uh, the libertarians recently, I don't know if you know this, but LP New Hampshire got in trouble for saying some racist stuff to Nina Turner, but it just like, <laughs> it was, it was an optics thing. Okay. I don't want to get into the specifics, but it was an optics thing. But what isn't an optics thing is that um, Jared Diamond doing that forward in that way, he took the etic perspective. He practiced cultural relativism and he looked at, and I haven't seen the specifics in a little while, but what he did was he took that forward the very beginning of the book to say, oh, look, I'm going to judge myself by the standards of his culture. I'm going to take the outsider perspective. And what that does is that loosens up somebody reading this book who might be a white liberal college student with purple hair who grew up in the upper middle class suburbs where the minorities that they knew were black people that act as white as anybody else and where the Indian girl who's a Brahmin whose father was like beating his servants back in India came to America and they say that they're oppressed because they're an immigrant or whatever. So these are the people who need to be softened up for them to get your message. So I think it's great that he did that because he wrote that beginning and that loosened up everybody to see the information in his book and really take it in because they were made comfortable by this guy making that point. And so he was talking in a way, look, I, I can't, I don't know his intent, but I think that the effect of that is that that allowed people to hear what he was saying and to actually absorb the information. And that's why it's a pop anthropology book. I think that was a very calculated move that he took based on the roots of anthropology. And today that book is hated by mm -hmm. the book, by the way, oh, yeah. they tell you not to read it, but yeah. that's the effect. They don't want you to read the book, even though the guy kowtows at the beginning. Yeah. It, that's an excellent point of like, if the proof is in the pudding on your postulation, well, none of the people, if he was one of them, none of his fellow one, them were buying it mm -hmm. at the time. Well, they, uh, mm. Do you think so? I mean, I they think at the time. Buying it. I mean, the, the, the only people at the that time we were, it was fine. It was like the 2000s. It wouldn't have pulled a surprise. Oh, yeah. okay. Like when I read the book, we, uh, it was either the late 90s or early, really early 2000s when I read it. I was young. But I, I when I went through the foreword, then I didn't pay, I didn't, this stuff I breezed right by, I didn't pay any mind to it. It wasn't a big deal back then. It, plus, it was Except like. Except in academia. As you just pointed out, it really wasn't directed at me. It was directed at his audience. But when I read when I read it again before this episode, and I looked and I went through the forward, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is I know what this is." But I didn't detect it the first when I was young. I because didn't see it wasn't a thing in the broader culture back then. Yeah. it is now. Now, and, and to, can I, you're you're right in one sense, Bog Beef, that like there were critical critical theorists or whatever in academia who attacked the book. A couple of years after it came out, and they are now people that those takes are now the the mainstream academic takes. But they're the promoted time, by the dominant culture. They're promoted by the ruling class, the endowments, all the people that give the funding. That's who controls this. It's yeah, not ground up. Jared Diamond's, I'd say he's very clear. He's he's in, he it's implicit, and he mentions it a couple. Like, well, here's one thing he does a couple times in the book that I didn't really notice the first time around, and it stuck out like a sore thumb. There are a few times he, he instead of saying, like, Americans or, or colonists or English or whatever, he says white. And if, if he wrote this book today, like, it would just it would just be all about that. It would be like, 
um, you know, the, the, the evil crimes of white people. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's times he uses it in the book. It looks weird. It's like the whites did this. You, you, you wouldn't write that about the blacks or whatever. And yeah, that, that, at this point in 2023, that's such a lost cause. Like, you're at that point, you're a normie GOP guy saying, "Imagine if the roles were reversed." But he kind of dips his toes a little bit in, in, into that here. That that like that's really their complaint with him now is that he wrote this book as an attempt to, I guess, uh, get around other explanations for the differences between groups of people. Be that. Like uh, bi- bi- biological, which he explicitly attacks in, in the book as as being evil and wrong, and in and in cultural values, he 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 doesn't negate them entirely because, as you said, like he he he's very he's very complimentary about the values of people who aren't our people, but he 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 mostly diminishes that that that's like not even secondary importance. It's like it's it's distant distant fifth place yeah. his focus is entirely on what they call environmental determinism that, that that this is all kind of it was mechanical and it's all a, a accident of where you were of where you were born that is what the driver of history of technology of culture of every social technology it, it came from yeah. where you were born and what resources you had around you at the time and and this was in ni- in the late 90s to to the average person because like you figure, think about who was reading this book back then. It was young. It was young people, young young college graduates, people people older than us. But you know, Gen X, like late Gen Xers, some I'm sure some boomers read it too. They were people who were. Uh, it, it seems crazy now if you're a young person, but uh, a lot of people still they wouldn't admit it, but they still had we'll say biological determinism ideas. That wasn't something that you could, uh, that was entirely out of uh, mainstream thought of regular people. And he's trying to attack that idea with his book. He's, he's trying to say, no, 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 no. It's nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with culture. It's all about environment geography. Well, re- real quick, is there, like, I don't know if there is a woke version of environmental determinism, but like there are many, many conservative uh, uh, whatever the lo- whatever the the ge- geographic like, isn't Spangler a uh, uh, a geographic determinism? He thinks like, you know, the, the Aryan man walking through the forest of the Ardennes, blah blah blah, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like it, it's very easy to do a a super right wing uh, geographic determinism. So there there is a globalist geographic determinism that that has a lot of elements of geographic determinism and then elements of uh constructivism and uh political science and that's Yuval Noah Harari's big history I would say that's mm. the closest thing um it's not necessarily a a left-wing perspective but it's a it's a globalist perspective it's an authoritarian perspective um and then there's uh, the big history, which I think is a really good one. Uh, the Dawn of Everything, David Graver and David Wengro. And that's like a culturally left wing, um, but it, it doesn't have that many elements of geographic determinism. Um, but, you know, I just think geographic determinism, number one. Okay, actually, what I wanted to say on that is that geographic determinism, I think, actually is the root of a lot of this stuff. Geography, not just in physical environment, but human geography, which becomes a thing of interactions with other people. But it 
the geography is what creates the culture because the geography is what you're interacting with and what you're interacting with creates the culture, including other humans. So it all does go back to geography at the end of the day, but it's, it's, that's farther away than Jared Diamond's argument. But I think at the same time, like Jared Diamond's argument also might lead you to that logical conclusion in a certain way. Um, and like, look, I don't, I don't care about the genetic differences. Like, obviously if there's differences in skin color, there could be differences in other thing things. But at the same time, I, I do think that culture is much more important. Okay. I'm going to do a speed round with the things I wanted to get to. Um, so I can just move them out of the way and you might be interested in any of these Judaism and Islam. So tied in with their culture, Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, that comes from a culture that was always a minority population. Then rabbinic Judaism tries to come in and create a nation called Israel. And it's kind of seems to be almost collapsing in its current form right now, probably because they took people from all over the world, different ethnicities, different political structures, brought them into one country. Um, Islam tied with empire. Islam existed as an empire for its entire existence up until 100 years ago. Not surprising that ISIS pops up as an empire, as a caliphate, because that is the true nature of Islam as it developed over 1400 years. Um, alcohol to caffeine culture. So Protestantism is associated with a shift in a culture based in alcohol to a culture based in caffeine. You see in a lot of hunter-gatherer societies, they're based in hallucinogens that interact with their animistic and shamanistic beliefs that are associated with those levels of political um, political uh, complexity. But caffeine is heavily associated with Protestant nations and um, and uh, the the work ethic, Protestant work ethic, which is a real thing connected to culture. Have you seen heat? Heat? Heat. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. No, but if it's related to this, I want to. Well, this is this is the uh, the the Al Pacino slash Ralph uh, dynamic. <laughs> uh, the, I, don't I bet know. that's funny. Well, I, I wish you knew. People people will know. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mike. It's okay. Mike Michael Mann movie, one of the greatest movies. Is this ever. a bad yeah, thing? Should I the, shut the fuck up? Is that what it is? So, well, so <laughs> this uh, this the cop who's one of the the I guess he's the protagonist, but um he's a cokehead. Um, he's sort of on all the time. He, he's super jittery. Consumed on. by his work. This yeah. is me on marijuana. Well, well, <laughs> he's I'm, this, I'm out of my fucking mind. He's this massive cokehead. He's he's out of his mind. Blah blah blah. Well, who does his wife cheat with? Well, a guy who sits on the couch and smokes a lot of pot and is very chill and cool. And he's hanging out at the cut. Motherfucker in the head, dude. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's like, well, who would she, who would she cheat with? Of course she would. You know, because this guy is this guy is a uh, is, is a nuts. Anyways, you almost can't be mad like at that. <laughs> oh, you you can't be. And he, that's the thing in his movie. In the movie, he's like, you, you can't help but like Ralph because you're like, you know, I maybe you know. You're hanging out with this guy a little while. You kind of do yeah. want to hang out with Ralph. So different, like that. It's not threatening, you know. Like it's the opposite. It's like ah, oh, whatever, dude. Like, yeah. Um. But anyway. Yeah. So, alcohol to caffeine culture. Caffeine. That's about work ethic, baby. It's associated with this industry culture. They used to give free coffee. They have free coffee breaks. That was created to increase productivity and capitalism. Great American nation. Great, what? great tweet yesterday. The day before by probably the the best the best uh uh like single best twitter account in the past couple of years has been um uh cold healing um <laughs> happy to say we were we were one of the first ones uh on that uh he tweet yesterday email to europe and um he's he's like uh i think he, he like works in the tech industry or something like that 
right? Like, uh, you know, move, 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 on the go, blah, 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 live in big city, blah. Cold healing. Emailed a European and got hit with the, I will be out of the office until August 28th auto reply. And it, he's got a picture of a poo crying. Look, I'll, I'll come clean here. I I hit some PEDs before the podcast. I drank a cup of coffee and and, and uh, had some nicotine. So like, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm smoking pot with grava <laughs> in it, tobacco. I've drank two White Claws just to loosen me up a little bit. And I had a mug of espresso because my girlfriend is Italian-American, like most Irishmen in New England. And I drink espresso in a mug. That's the um, real melting pot right there, baby. Hell yeah, brother. 100%. We out here. <laughs> Yeah, um, that that nicotine in the pot. That's that. Uh, <laughs> you can't just chill on the couch when you do that. The thinking man speedball. <laughs> Dude, I I I I just write and research fourteen hours a day, twelve maybe. Play some video games, do work outside, smoke pot mixed with grava, and just drink espresso and rock stars, and just obsess over this stuff. <laughs> Um, speaking of that, American Nations, great book. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's my favorite book about American history. Um, it breaks up the United States into different cultural areas based on the culture that first yeah. created them, right? Albion Seed? So what's that? Albion Seed? Albion Seed? I don't remember that part. Oh, okay. Uh, that, that, that it sounds that, similar to a book that, yeah. Yeah, Albion Seed, the uh, American folkways, it divides into the, to the, Puritans, the Cavaliers, the Borderers, and the uh, no, the other Quaker. I, yeah, I always forget what his, his classification it. was because you know the the most cursed English folk way. Yeah, sorry, it didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. No, no, you're good, you're good. Um, no, I want to read that book. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, so American nations. So I'm look, I'm I'm culturally Catholic. Like my mom was Catholic. I have those things. But to me, the more important culture is I'm American. I'm American. I'm not Irish. I'm not Hungarian. I'm not Catholic. I'm American. That's the most important one. And I'm from New England. I'm from Connecticut. I spent about a little bit of my life in North Carolina. Love the South. Love you guys. It's my second home. But I am a New Englander. And New England culture is Puritan. And I am a Puritan in my work ethic. I'm obsessed with it. It's where I draw my value in life. It comes from that Puritan ethic, even though I have these Catholic elements in my family. It's all connected, all works together. All these different interconnected parts don't have to compartmentalize it because it's all works together. Mormonism, absolutely American religion. Mormonism. The most American religion. The most American religion. Literally, black people weren't allowed in, in until like 1974. And canonically, in Mormonism, and Consti tell me if I'm wrong about this. Constitution is... Um, divinely inspired in in, uh, in Mormonism. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Because this is the combination of these, sorry, spiritual and religious and cultural elements. They also think that uh, Native Americans are cursed. And if in your canonical tradition, Native Americans are cursed, well, I guess we can take their Liebensraum. Um, okay. Very American religion. Um, uh, you know, it makes me so jealous. In that tradition... Those, you know, it's hard to say which, which, what, which way it pulls, whatever, but they, that John Browning comes out of that tradition, who is just one of the, uh, John Browning and Eugene Stoner were are like our greatest, um, most innovative, uh, engineers, at least for, for the firearms industry ever. But John, like when you see a gun, like about half 50% chance it was invented by, John Browning. Well, he came out, uh, he was, his family was like, he, he was super Mormon, super Mormon. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Very American. By very way, American religion. You should talk to our friend Carrie. I mean, uh, she's also 
sort of uh, born Catholic, now just one of the great scholars of the Puritan tradition, Boston Brahmins, all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, is she yeah. located in New England too? Oh yeah, oh Boston, yeah. Oh wow, what? what who is this? Well, we'll talk about it afterwards. I'll see you. Okay. I'll see her stuff. She's she's got an episode with us uh, called uh, the Boston Brahmin. And just you said to- Carrie. Carrie. Mm-hmm. Okay, and- I'm gonna write that down because I'm gonna star that to remember. I want to talk to her. She knows absolutely everything about the Puritans, the Boston Brahmin, like like uh, all all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, and, and, and rare New England W. If we're talking about fi- great American firearms engineer, who's the other name that we didn't put in the list? Colt. Winchester. Well, and we, Colt. Yeah, it went short changes. You know, uh, well, I mean, if you think about out west, the settlement of the west, the, the you know, the conquering of the yeah. country, you gotta say Winchester. Hey, he was a Boston man. You know, I hate to admit it, pains me, pains me to say anything uh, nice. Samuel you know. Call, yeah, I mean, so yeah. that, that's all. I guess all that stuff is just a little bit older, but yes, ab- absolutely. It's kind of sad now that, like, at this moment in time, all the sort of great uh gun manufacturers are finally having to move from new hampshire and massachusetts out yeah, because connecticut they yeah. shouldn't have to move from new hampshire <laughs> yeah. um yeah so look connecticut like when i was in the marine corps i have connecticut tattooed on my leg i love this state i hate what it has become but i love it right and i when i was in the marine corps that, is, mags, that is the nationalist position always of every country by the way yes yeah that's how yeah, you yeah. should always feel 100 percent make America great again, whether or not that's connected to Trump or not. I mean, he's probably a forerunner for me right now, but regardless, um, regardless of Trump, make America great again is what I'm saying. Um, but Connecticut, like most of those mags in the Marine Corps, I would just show people, I'd be like, Hey, look, Colt, Connecticut right there. That's my state motherfucker. <laughs> Cause they shit on us. Everyone's from the South. Like, um, you don't know Marine how Corps, much I love Colt. Ohio. Colt is, is, is America to me. And, Speaking of that, uh, by the way, if you ever want to come north of the Mason-Dixon, you can have a room in my house. We got 350 PBR down the road. You'll feel right at home in this dick, man. I know it's Connecticut, but we're out here. If it's got that horse, maybe if it's got the horse, I'll pay double. If it's got the horse and the snake, I'll pay triple. I don't know what that means, but okay. Prance and pony. It's a, it's a cult logo. Oh, okay. Okay, sweet. Genghis Khan. He had a lot of strengths adopting, allowing other cultures to still practice their thing. He would just take in all these engineers. He found people to do stuff for him. Um, he like his own culture didn't do it. All they did was ride horses, kill people and rape. Um, can I say that? Sorry. No, no, yes. this is okay. something. Well, you know, in my, whenever I was not thinking about this very much, I would just say, well, of course, he would just let people use whatever uh, religion they wanted to because he was just sort of taxing them. Who cares? Just pay your taxes. But that's not quite true. I mean, he did. I mean, I never thought about it. He just said that, but clearly he was, he was leveraging multiculturalism to whip the, 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 the Chinese, right? Yes. And he was like a lot, a lot of Chinese traditions had this. The Manchurians were in charge for 300 years up until 1912. Um, but they would, yeah, he, he allowed the Chinese to keep their cultural practices. And that meant that they, like they just uh they were allowed to keep their tradition so that nobody minded there were no revolts you, but it also over time it didn't create a lasting cultural impact because they just assimilated to the 
other culture. Yeah, exactly. When, Chinese is the strongest culture in world history, by the way. That's another three-hour podcast. When, when when I said that, you know, the Indo-European religions were weak, you said it was a feature, not a bug. And, like, and if you think about it, Genghis Khan, if we're talking about what we think Indo-Europeans or proto-Indo-Europeans were like, like the Mongol horde is pretty much a, a, a returned tradition for those people. You just have yep. these bands of people who are going through... Uh, you're killing all killing all the men uh, he's like what he has the most descendants of of any man that you could trace back right now his culture wasn't spread but his dna was yeah and eventually his ancestors converted to the religions of the people that he he conquered and it's only a kind of an accident of history that one of them didn't become christian but they lasted they so actually a lot of these different step peoples adopted either judaism or islam yeah. Oddly enough, um, Judaism is the weird one. Uh, the Islam, I'm, it makes sense. But for hundreds of years after they had settled inside the walls of the Forbidden City in China were yurts set up in the style of steppe peoples. And they were just living in the walls of the Forbidden City where there would be a palace setting up your yurt. They just kept their <laughs> culture and they were ruling everybody. Everybody around them was doing the Han Chinese shit, purple robes, all that gold, silk. But they weren't. Um. Is that, I mean, this is a dumb question because I don't know anything about Chinese history. Is that why it was a forbidden, the Forbidden City? Just to keep out the people who were not part of the uh, aristocracy of that group? No. So, and this goes back to the compartmentalization thing. The Forbidden City, it, it was, uh, the word taboo is, yeah. it was taboo. These were ceremonial positions. Yeah. Um, they didn't have a lot of real power, kind of like, uh, but I mean, they obviously had effect because they do have their position. But a lot of the Chinese and Japanese empires, and it, it wanes and, and waxes and wanes in different time periods, but a lot of them, and this is true of the Incan emperors at certain times, as well as the um, the Japanese empire emperors, especially and especially in the early 20th century. But they filled a ceremonial role and they were tied mm. to religion. And so this taboo against commoners being able to go in there and then the extreme reverence that these officials that are working in there would give to them is uh, is why it was there. And this taboo just creates an air of superiority and an air of mysticism and an air of, uh, of, uh, connecting it to these greater things that allowed them to, uh, retain their position. Oh, and yeah, example, when we were talking with Claudius the other, the other week about, you know, the, the temple and, uh, temple of Solomon, same deal. Uh, nobody before Pompey Magnus had been in there who wasn't, you know, one of the, uh, elite, Right, right. Judah, Israeli, whatever. And he had to go in there. Yeah, he, he had to go in and he had to go in and do a, a spot check. Like yeah, that. Japan definitely has this. Um, they because they just had to they they just had like uh you know you don't go in there and they have like this whole building that nobody goes in except for a couple of priests except until you become um emperor or whatever blah blah. Uh yeah, and it works because everyone's like, I wonder what's in there. And there's like and the, there's a there's like a, a like a, a the side of the mountain where you can almost see over their fence, it's always packed full of tourists who are like, what's going on in there? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But if the secret is is found out, then it ruins it even for the people that practice it. This this happened in like, I can't, I unless you really want me to, I won't go into the whole story, but this happened in New Guinea with interactions with Christianity. Let's talk about the, the whatever you call it, the, 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 crescendo, the crescendo of guns, germs, and steel 
I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's probably the, the strongest part. It's just like, why, why did the white guy uh, cross the ocean? But whatever. whatever. Anyways, he arrives and white man meets people that, uh, the, you know, should have been the most foreign people uh, possible, whatever. The white guy meets Aztec Incas or whatever. What was so at that point in time when they first meet, how different of people are they? Um, wait, which specific one? Aztec or Inca? Oh, in, in gold, in guns, germs, and steel. Well, yeah, but I just mean, um, you've got some of the notes and I I mean, it's, it's a good topic of like, uh, this, this is like the closest thing to like the alien first contact, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so at this point when Jared Diamond would have talked to these people, they would have had decades of interaction with people in new guinea so right. it wouldn't have been like completely open are you guys aware of something called cargo cults yeah 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 so these cargo cults were coming out of these early interactions and you know it's it's like i remembered what i wanted to what i was trying to say by the way it's the 70s and with cool stuff with uh trucking being cool and that being a value of that time you guys were talking about that on your show right yeah oh yeah yeah with the trucker the other day i uh, love that guy um so yeah and and jim croce i was i this morning i love jim croce by the way but i just happened to be listening this morning to a live performance of him in 1973 and he was talking about being a trucker and he was and he was wearing stuff associated with trucking it was just perfect but that's the type of thing like today i think in the general culture you wouldn't think about trucking being cool i think it's it's still pretty cool in a lot of blue collar communities a lot of people that i know are proud to be truckers and i i think that's terrific as well it's still cool to me but to a lot of like the people that I grew up around being in Connecticut, um, around all these Puritans who, by the way, apply their cultural Puritanism, Puritanism to their wokeism today. It's why they are so zealous, you could call it, about it. But like that's the values of the time. And it might be very foreign. Like it's a very foreign concept today to a white liberal in Connecticut that trucking would have been cool in mainstream culture. But it is. And then there are these very different descriptions, right? So these people in New Guinea that have very different values, very different ways of understanding the world. And in anthropology, we call this acculturation. That is the way that children grow up where they're acculturated. It's it's different from assimilation because assimilation is moving into a new culture as an adult. But acculturation is the process where children are brought up from from babies into adulthood. And with adoption, you know, look, we can get into the differences in race, but we all have people that we know, I assume you guys do, that are other races, maybe they're Asian, Black, uh, Hispanic, that were adopted into white families, and they have overwhelmingly traits of white Americans uh, in the sense of values. And they have differences because of their interaction with the world based on their skin color and based on being adopted, change the way they interact with it. But ultimately, I think it's fair to say that in most cases, they are more closely related with the people they grew up around. And that makes sense. So when you go into New Guinea and you have these people that have interactions with these cargo cults, these cargo cults are these maybe first interactions, first contact. And look, they see these people that are people. They knew they were people. Okay, they might think they're gods for like an hour. There's a lot of examples of people thinking that's that these white explorers were gods. And like in the past, that was used as a way to say that these that these people were stupid. And today it's kind of discredited. But the fact is, they did think they were gods. But the other fact is that they figured it out very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't implausible. Right. I mean, like if I met a guy, 
if I'm walking down the street, I see somebody wearing something I've never seen, and let's say they were like completely blue or something like that. Mm-hmm. It you know it would not be implied like wow, am I hallucinating? Is this an angel or something like that? I don't think that would be yeah. completely implausible uh, 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 to, to ponder. You know. Yeah, and it's it's like it you can make sense of it even from the perspective of of western culture. I mean, I'm I'm only 28 years old, but the the stuff, the technology that I remember from the early 2000s, it, if I were trying to understand like a um like a smartphone with the technology that I understood in 2002, I really wouldn't get it. And that's just 20 years. So, when you're thinking about like these people that are that are in Papua New Guinea, they see this new technology. They know these are people, but they don't spend enough time around them to really get it, to really, really get it. So they don't understand that um, that they're not going to be summoning these planes by marching. But all they did was with their understanding of the world, which is based on nature up until these weird white guys showed up, or unfortunately for some of them, Japanese guys, which probably would have killed a lot of them, um, these white guys show up, they have all this stuff. They have this weird stuff that they don't understand how it's made at all. And you can't blame them because there's no cultural reference for it. Like alien technology to us, how would we understand if it's so advanced? And then they see these actions that these soldiers were taking these, um, these marches Sorry. wearing uniforms. Real, real quick. Yeah. One of the great quotes of all time, Chuck Yeager. The first time I saw a jet, I shot it down. Sorry. I continue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that reminds me, actually, technology that is that is um, complex enough will be um, will be not you can't tell the difference between that and magic. That's a butchering of the quote, but cargo cults, the rituals. OK, so this is a ritual. So this is a ceremony that's taking place. It's an official thing. There's this uh, video of cargo cults from from long ago where they're marching. They have USA written on their chest. And they're marching with like sticks that are cut into swords. The lead guys have real artifacts. These are artifacts to them that the one guy is wearing Marine Corps dress blues. And to them, these are associated with a ritual practice. These are imbued with with energy and power. These are ritual objects like the Ark of the Covenant. Like these are important to them or the Kaaba in Islam. And they're connected to a spirituality. We have these in our own culture. Um, so they, there are these head guys, they're wearing these artifacts, they're showing off their status in their society. So even though this ritual, we know that it's not going to summon any more uh, goods to them, but at the same time, here's what happened. Um, this guy was using this to keep his society together, this ritual. There's all these other things that are good for a society when they do this ritual, have this cultural practice. But at the same time, it worked. Because this guy is getting people, these white people, to come from America and videotape them. And this exposure led to them getting donations. So their ritual fucking worked. It didn't work in a direct way, but often these types of ritual practices are, are they're, they're, they're misunderstood or their true purpose is not seen. You know, if, if with tradition, and this is the way I think everyone should think, if you see a fence in the woods, you don't know what it's for, don't knock it down. It might be there for a reason. And Bogby, back at the very beginning, you were talking about state parks and a pilgrimage. And you're right, man. I mean, this is a community-based thing. It's it's tied into your identity. You live in this place. You go to this thing. In New England, you go to the Big E. It's the biggest fair in New England. People go. You might not go every year, but if you're in New England and you tell someone you've never been to the Big E, it's one of those things where people look, look at you like you haven't seen Forrest Gump. 
You don't do that. You go to the Big E if you are a New Englander. It's tied to our identity. And that's what that is with those state parks. And it would be a religious thing if these things weren't compartmentalized. The first books in Europe after the printing press, very popular, were travel-oriented books. This was in the culture from the very beginning. And this led to these people. It was even in the 1600s, 1500s, these ship's captains, they wrote down these things in their journals about these other religions and other people. They published this. A lot of them made a lot of money. Some of them didn't. Some of it was after they died, but a lot of them made a lot of money. In Roman times, news of things past the past the, the English Channel and stuff was like it was the it was like you know he, the biggest gossip in the world. Everybody who was somebody was waiting in Rome to hear about these crazy natives running around England and what what the soldiers saw or whatever. It was the hottest topic. Well, okay, so. And this is an innate curiosity in human nature, by the way. It's why we conquered the world. And it wasn't in Neanderthals. This is a homo sapiens thing. There was a conception that, you know, the Cortez shows up and he's worshipped as a god. And that doesn't, that's not really, I, don't, <clears throat> I think that's kind of, you, you when you were describing the cargo cult and how it worked, like the, the cargo cults originated because when in the, during the Pacific War, we brought, we brought in uh, a, a lot of equipment a lot of goodies, thousands and thousands of Americans in places that had, for a very long time, not seen very many Europeans. They certainly had never seen the kind of technology that was brought there. And uh, I'm sure for them that was a boom time because suddenly this region that's been a, let's frankly, a backwater in the world is now you know, one of the hot global hotspots and you have all this stuff coming in. People are bringing you chocolate. If you're a Polynesian Island, people are bringing you chocolates and stuff like By that. By the way, wouldn't it have been better to never know about it? The, yeah, exactly. The average, <laughs> like the average ration crate that was going to one of these little outposts in the Pacific, it would have had, you'd have whiskey, cigarettes, bubble gum, chocolate. I mean, could you, it would be, you'd have a good time. I mean, th- this would have yeah. been, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what did Montezuma and the Aztecs think of Cortez when he arrived? Well, here here's what here's the quote from, you know, from the Spanish perspective of what Montezuma said to them. And they talk about this in the Dissident Review Volume 2 Frontiers by the way, and they is, revere them. It's awesome. Uh, it is now a long time since by means of written records we learned from our ancestors that neither myself nor any of those who inhabit this region were descended from its original inhabitants, but from strangers who immigrated hither from a very distant land. And we have also learned that a prince, whose vassals they all were, conducted our people into these parts and then returned to his native land. Okay, so Montezuma is saying, actually, Native American, uh, Mexican people, we're not from here. We came from somebody else, and we think that you're a representative of him. As for this, this is kind of... Uh, Blah, blah, blah. They're talking about the wealth that he found there. Then he raised his clothes, Montezuma, and showed me his body, saying as he grasped his arms and trunk with his hands, See that I am of flesh and blood like you and all other men, and that I am mortal and substantial. Now, he's saying this because I think that other other Central Mesoamerican, whatever, people had told them that, oh, yeah, this Montezuma guy, he, he claims that he's God. He's a guy king. And Montezuma saying, "No, nah, I'm, 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 I'm a human being just like you." Yeah, you wouldn't say that to somebody you thought was the the visage of a of a white god. Right. You would say that to someone you thought was, uh, 
you know, the agent of, because uh, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure Cortez told Montezuma that he was on be- there on behalf of the king of Spain, the king of all creation. It's, it's funny, in, gun- in, in Guns, Germs, and Steel, pretty early on, there are these long uh, letters from, like, uh, I think Pizarro or whoever, where he's like, you know, the courtly language of the Spanish Empire, which is like, the king of all creation, the most powerful Spanish king. I'm sure, I'm sure Cortez has given him this feeling. He's like, oh, you're probably an agent of our king, too. And and so now we're, we're going to be pals, but we're both mortal men. We're both human beings. And so, so the, I, it's not clear. And perhaps you know, later on, there were uh, there were people like uh, former Aztecs and their descendants who wrote about uh, about the first contact in ways that a might have been aggrandizing to their new masters and b might have misunderstood what happened because they're speaking generations later from a foggy story. The best example of this and it's in on the theme the idea that people didn't know the world was round before Columbus. That wasn't, that's not true. And, and people know like that, that's kind of one of those little tidbits you see every Columbus day. Yeah. People knew that for thousands of years, but you know, that story serves a purpose, which is that like, you know, Columbus, Columbus was taking a, 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 a very dangerous risk doing what he was doing and people didn't think it was going to work. And, and when this meeting between the Aztecs and the Spanish, it, it, the say like they thought they were gods. Well, they thought they were agents of something powerful, something that they had had been there before, something that they owed some measure of fealty to. If you want to put that in a dumb way, you could say, "Oh yeah, they thought they were gods." Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's- yeah. So, so there there probably is an element of it's one factor of the um, the perspective of like the encomienda system, the, uh, the Spanish masters that come in, but it is true. And there's other examples of native peoples in different places find uh, like seeing, um, seeing Europeans and initially thinking that they were gods. But when we think of God, we're thinking about it as like God omnipotent up in the air, but these are polytheistic people. So when they're talking about God, they're like native Americans here's in new England, like, they think that, or the, the traditional Algonquin Native Americans thought that rocks had mana, like rocks had God in them, not mm-hmm. mana. That's a Polynesian term, but that rocks had energy, basically a very similar concept. So like it doesn't, it's not really that crazy that there are these random people that come here and they have this big ship that you don't understand. And then your perspective is like, oh yeah, there's some sort of spiritual thing. Like, it's not like, oh my God, it's, it's literally God incarnate. It's carnate. It's Jesus coming down. Like, it's not like that. It's not that serious. But at the same time, they figure out figure it out in a few days. Like they figure it out very quickly. Certain people do, certain people don't. But there's the converse of that, which you reminded me of right now that I've never really thought about it this way. But like the Spanish thought these people were channeling the devil. They had their spiritual <laughs> response as well. And so it's both of them are viewing the other in the context of their own culture. It's an etic perspective. So the Aztecs see them and they have like this, this religion. I mean, they're essentially monotheistic, like the sun God, which is associated with the political complexity that would come with this God that literally has the same title as the uh, French sun King emperor, the uh, Louis the 14th in the era of um, centralization of authority in Europe. But the Spanish looked at the Aztecs from the understanding of their own culture as well. And for them, 
it was that people who sacrifice people and rip their hearts out on altars at the top of large stone pyramids are devils. And honestly, even from and today's standards, children. it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what mean, the, the, the more you find out about the Aztec Empire, the less like the the yeah yeah. The, but by the way, I mean, so Mont whatever whatever Montezuma was, I think let's say specifically Aztec. Uh, they had only been there for they like since like the third like the early thirteen hundreds or something. Yeah, it was a pretty new empire. They had sort of was strolled like 90s, in, kicked ass took over they had they started out with the triple alliance they ended up sort of uh becoming the dominant partner in there and stuff so um yeah i mean a lot of the, these people they ruled uh, you know being terrifying being scary and doing fucked up stuff was part of the gig i mean they were like a, they were a like small the assyrians mind. they were kind of like the, i was about to say that they're yeah. the assyrians dude so the look cultural relativity is a great thing but there are certain people that are just worse there are certain people that are terrible <laughs> Yeah. And the Assyrians are an example from Europe, just awful, awful people by anyone's standards and no, no mitigating circumstances. They just suck. The Aztecs were that the, the Mayans were a much more prolific, much more longer lasting with higher political complexity with, with more of it, the Incas as well. The Aztecs, they were on their way out. You can't, you can't treat everybody around you like the Aztecs did and survive for longer than a few centuries. They yeah. are the Assyrians of but to Central be America, to, to be or relativist or whatever, it would be like, um, you know, you had you had you had uh, you like if if they had came over here and if they had came to the old world and the first people they met was like Genghis Khan, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which which Europeans in another spiritual sense thought that he was the scourge of God. And again, yeah, how would you not think that this guy Prester was John? I would think he was the scourge of God if somebody was doing that today. I would be like, the, the world has gotten insane. Um, well, when he was killing Muslims before he got there, he was Prester John. He was the liberator of, of, of you know, of Christendom. Oh, and, and, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they were, when the Mong, when they first heard about the Mongols and they were you know, destroying these, like the Quasimiris, whatever, the, 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 the Muslims in like Samarkand and places like that. The Europeans heard about this and were like, "Oh, this is Prester John. This is the guy who's like he's a he's a Christian. He's coming to, to push the Serrations out of the Holy Land." And well, Europeans would be standing around Europe, and they would be all these Muslim guys running towards them at top speed, screaming for their life. <laughs> they'd say, uh, "What's wrong?" And, and uh, yeah, that this is how they found out that on the other side of them was somebody really, really scary. Somebody even worse. Really bad, dude. So, so okay, to, to get back to, since we're kind of talking about Diamond, so there's this meeting between the Spanish and the Aztecs, and a, a, there's not many Spanish people. Like, Cortez has a couple hundred people. I think he might has even... tens of thousands of allies because the Aztecs yeah. were the Assyrians. Oh, by the way, I mean, sorry, just in terms of savage, like, we, there is a contemporary account of the time of Genghis Khan uh, there was some kind of monk on a long journey. He was doing some kind of long mm -hmm. trade mission or something like that, yeah. and he walked into a he walked into a city that the Mongols had just killed everything in the entire city, and he, he and it, it's savage. He talks about walking down the street and he says, "All you hear is like you might hear a dog or two. You go into every building, they're all dead. Everyone's dead. They're all dead." Yeah, uh, Genghis Khan was an exterminationist, which is 
uh, we we'll have to talk. We'll do another episode and talk about the Mongols since we have we have this we have somebody uh, here who's like a, an expert on uh, other cultures. Because it would be it would be entertaining. Uh, so you have these people who uh, they have this first contact. There's not many Spanish. They have a lot of native allies because, like I said, these are the New World Assyrians. Everybody hates them. But also, when they come into direct conflict, the the conquistadors whoop their asses in numbers. They're just, just, I mean, you can't get around this by anybody's account. The con- like one conquistador can kill a lot of Aztecs. And there's been a lot of there's been a lot of thought to put in why. Well, for one thing, they have steel weapons. The Aztecs don't. They have firearms. But in cannons, but they're not really that effective. They're mostly doing Morale. the killing, killing with the with the. I mean, probably the, the, those weapons just scared the sh- the crap out of people. Like the swords never- were very effective. They they had obsidian, yeah. which wasn't very strong, so the the obsidian could cleave a horse's head off, but it couldn't damage the armor. They functionally had no armor when it came to fighting this the Spaniards. So, yeah. so like from their perspective, there's these people that have these really loud weapons that can kill you from range. Uh, that basically invisibly you, you don't see an arrow coming at you, you just get you just die right they have these powerful weapons that penetrate your crappy new world armor and you you'll hit their breastplate with your stone axe and nothing happens so the, the, like and the the fundamental question that diamond is trying to ask with his his book and this his New Guinea friend asked him, was like, well, why did the Europeans have all this great stuff and the Aztecs didn't? Why didn't the New Guinea people have? Why, why is it your people have all this special stuff? And uh, his theory is very, it's, it's, it's very, it's dirt simple. It's that because of the, the, uh, geogra- the geography of Eurasia, it was very easy to spread agriculture from the Near East into, into, mm. the, into, into Europe. And then from there, the Europeans conquered the New World. He focuses a lot on the New World, even though, even though, like, this is a supposed to be an explanation for the entire planet. Because like Europeans also conquered uh, India, they conquered parts of uh, China from time to time, Africa, pretty much everywhere that wasn't Europe, and no, pretty much everywhere that wasn't Europe and parts of China the Europeans dominated at some point. And the question is, why did that happen? And his explanation is because of the geography, especially the East-West axis of Eurasia, that was easy to spread crops from, you know, one point to another, because if you're going East to West, same latitude, same, in theory, same climate, or other factors. you can grow wheat in, you know, the Middle East and you can grow it in at the tip of Spain. That's his theory. This is, this is why this happened. He basically says it's a, it was a roll of the dice because you were born in this place. This is how it happened. He's completely wrong. His theory is horseshit. I like to hear your... Not, it's not entirely horseshit. Obviously, the, the east-west axis thing is true. It is easier to move crops from the Fertile Crescent to uh, Gibraltar or whatever than it is to move it from you know south america to north america that's true yeah but it doesn't account it doesn't it doesn't nearly account for what he tries to fit it into so i think it's a good theory amongst others but like i even will like i i think any theory is fine and with the understanding of where it came from like even something like critical race theory which i'm a heavy critic of i also understand that it is a perspective the problem is when it's used as a framework 
So I don't have a problem with geographical determinism from the aspect of incorporating it into a bunch of other theories, um, including things that are largely discredited now, like great man theory, which I think still has plenty of uh, relevance to today, or it still has relevance within the historical record. So the east-west axis, but like the east-west axis on its own has more implications than just a variety in movement. It also means that there are more, there's a more absolute number of cultures that are working in the same type of environment, which if you extrapolate that allows for multiple different, um, multiple different uh, chances for people to find out a new method. And then that method of whatever it is of technology, if it helps people to live better, then it will increase their ability to expand their culture. And this is why Indo-Europeans are 45% speakers of the world today, because Indo-European culture and its associated practices is completely intertwined with Indo-European languages. So when Indo-European languages spread, that is language spreading and language by extension is culture. They're very attached. Language is the most single factor, in my opinion, and this is shared by a lot of people in cultural anthropology. Um, so this east-west axis, more variety of plants is another thing he says. I don't really buy into that. Hmm. The, the livestock is another factor. Um, and this is about the east-west axis and the, the sheer size. It's related. Uh, more people, more societies, faster development. They, they contact each other. Like the Silk Road, there aren't a lot of European traders going from Italy to all the way to China. Like that's, there's a few examples of that in history. And they're like very famous in the same exploration era that I talked about earlier. But what is happening is there's an Italian guy in Venice who's going to talk to an Ottoman guy. And that Ottoman guy is trading with a guy who's in modern day, like uh, Azerbaijan. And then it goes on to Turkmenistan and then it goes on to China. So people have interactions with each other and there is spread of technology across that thing. It's very hard to track. But people are spreading information. And if information allows you to do better in life and spread your culture to other people when it improves their lives as well in all these different ways, then it's going to expand over time. And it might be slow if it's done in one way versus Indo-European chariots coming in and killing all the men and raping all the women and creating a hardier race in, in a year um, to use not in my opinion, but to use the the term, then that's a much more literal spread of culture, but it can happen in other ways. Here's my, his theory, like, yeah, the livestock, I shouldn't leave that out. Also, the, the, if, if we were wrapping it all up into a nice little bow, he says the east-west axis of Eurasia and the size of Eurasia allowed them to, it allows you to, to come, you know, to, to build societies that have cattle, they have wheat, they have horses and and, and all in these things that that the new world lacked and yeah. sub-saharan africa lacked and this is why they fell behind and they were conquered now and those should be thought about as technology in this context right, like right. These, and, and there's and the associated plow like the plow is very important as a technology which is only it, possible with animals first like this is objectively true like the the Technologically, the Europeans who came to the New World uh, were way ahead of of the Native Americans, and he's trying to his his book is to say here's why this happened, and it has nothing to do with cultures or biology or anything like that. What it has to do is ge the geography of Eurasia. If you had replaced the if you had put the Native Americans in Eurasia and the Indo-Europeans in North America, it would have 
you know, they would have played out the same way. Then those people would have came from Eurasia and, and conquered them. Yeah, now, I was a pig. I don't wink. Yeah, m perhaps that's true. Here, here's the big problem. Okay, so the Indo-Europeans are the pe are people who, who who introduced the horse to to uh, Europe and and the Near East. When I say introduced, they came with with their with their swords and spears and killed everybody and took it over because hey look we fit hey, look what we did we put uh, we attached a, uh, some some wheels to a thing and attached it to a horse that we've trained to 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 run around and now we're zooming around in the equivalent of jet fighters and you know, blowing everybody up okay yeah. that that's true that doesn't explain why you come to you come to North America in the I guess the early 1600s, and people there haven't invented the wheel. Why they would they invent the wheel? I, I mean, I, I know this argu his argument in the book is, well, they didn't have any draft animals, so the wheel wasn't useful. Uh, I don't know. I've used a wheelbarrow before, and that, that's pretty cool. But they, but, Yeah, but so I'm sorry. Do keep going if you have something. Well, the, the argument, you don't, if you're hunter-gatherer, you don't need a wheelbarrow, which is true. That that is that's accurate. You ne you don't necessarily need that if you're wandering around between camps and and you know you're living the the hunter gatherer lifestyle. But the thing is, uh, hunter gatherer lifestyles existed in 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 the old world too, and those people got knocked off relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Like his, his like he's his argument here is that well, you know. They didn't need that stuff because it didn't fit their lifestyle. But that's like the story of everybody who was conquered by this this yeah. group of people and their descendants. Like this is just what happens when you come into contact with people who have who who aren't hunter gatherers. You die. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's game. It, it's game over. Like this tells you something inherent about hunter the hunter gatherer lifestyle. But he he glosses he glosses past that and, and treats it as like uh you know this just an accident of, of geography which I, I i just i just don't agree with that why did the like why did the people in the pontic steppes do this in the beginning with why didn't they remain hunter gatherers forever why did they why did they put the the you know the reins on the horses and, and put wheels on their chariots and do that because i'm pretty sure that the understanding now is a, a lot of these places the the chariot they didn't predate agriculture but those people were a lot less reliant on what we would consider settled society agriculture than you would expect for people who were who were doing this. Yeah, they Why were nomads. They were nomads. Yeah. So we, we, with it, with it, herds is is key. They moved with their herds. Yeah. So I guess you could hook a you you could try to hook a buffalo up to a chariot or whatever if you had like ten thousand years to, to to do it. But they didn't do that. And but there were there were lot there were like what llamas and alpacas in in South America. Nobody really. Try, try to do anything on this level. There was no nobody in South America, nobody in any of the Mesoamerican, the like, which were genuine empires. Yeah. Like when 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 you meet Montezuma, if you're if you're Hernan Cortez, you're meeting something. You understand these people. They're a settled society. They're an empire. They have huge armies, but they don't. They haven't invented the wheel. You, you can't get past that. If, if you're if you're an Aztec farmer you can't tell me they wouldn't have seen the utility and have on a fucking wheelbarrow let me help you get past this all right they, they did invent the wheel so in north america even in yeah. less basic societies there are 
artifacts predating Columbus that are toys with wheels, which demonstrates that they understood the technology itself. There's also examples in the archaeological record of people who did use the wheel moving to a new geographical area without roads. Um, For example, in New England, the traditional craft of choice was dugout canoes. I have one built in my backyard to a 16th century. uh, It's 12 feet long, made out of an eastern pine tree. That's how they moved things. They moved things with the river. It was it was in their environment. So what you have, and, and as well, here's the other thing. The invention of the wheel coincides with the archaeological record. The first examples of it known coincide with um, the horse. The Indo-Europeans, are, the, are, are they they're the ones who invented yeah. the, in the wheel? They domesticated the, horses and in, got the wheel at the same time. Yeah, and they came, you don't. It's but, too big of a jump without the horse. And they came from the flattest place in the world, so, Pontiac Step. So I mean, like, I'm at like a, uh, a little cart with wheels and stuff. Would that? Could you use that in Greece? I mean, that should be broke all the time. You know, what you I'm could saying? use a wheelbarrow. And- they don't need. They weren't. Well, maybe they were doing intensive agriculture. But they, they, it's not in North America, but like in, in Central America, they were kind of they, like, look, they were relying on slave labor, which is what mm-hmm. that's what people in, pre, in, in, in antiquity did. They used slave labor and a lot of the stuff that we do that we've done subsequent I, subsequently was to get around not having a bunch of slaves to cart stuff around for you. But you, you can't get around the fact that this is just this is simply a, a, a better way to do things. And. But that's based on the values that they had. And the values Mm -hmm. that they had were created through their culture. And look, I'll I'll give you an example that's kind of crazy. So you know this thing about time preference? Right. Mm -hmm. Right? So like people, it's like this meme on the internet where people are like, oh, black people aren't on time. It is true through surveys that black people value time less. And like that seems like such an obvious thing. But like when I'm thinking about these things, there's a difference between the innate and the taught. And even something that's taught as basic as being on time, being on time is a concept that began 150 years ago because that's when they invented keeping time towards eight o'clock. Obviously being on time is like being on time, but there are culturally different ways of understanding that. I've read ethnographies before. It's, It's very common for anthropologists to go to a place and for them to not have the same understanding culturally about being on time. It isn't valued in their society. And these values are just deeply rooted. And there's a lot of things that we view as value or that we view as innate in our society that really are values. And it's something that a lot of people that are think like us roll their eyes at, but there is truth in that. The the funny example of that is if you, if you're, um, I don't know, say Puerto Rican or Mexican, one of these cultures that that, that are really into this, um, they tell you, well, just come on to the party. It'll be, you know, we'll have the party tonight. He said, what time? About eight o'clock. If you do show up on time, they'll be pissed off. They'll say, you're not supposed to be here at eight o'clock. What are you talking about? We're not even getting ready yet. But uh, uh, yeah, sorry. It's a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. 100%. No, that's a good example. And um, I think we should close soon. We, uh, we should give Samuel the, the last word on the well, hold, hold on. Well, okay. well, whatever you got to do to. Guys, I'll come back on do? whenever you want. I love you guys. <laughs> I love this podcast. I really do. Well, thank you. Let, whatever let you me, guys let, do, Mary. Let me put my. I'll, I'll keep it real brief. Here's my. I mean, I, and the, doing a takedown of Jared Diamond now is kind of like. Uh, he, he He's outcast from his own field. Now yeah. he's canceled because he's not, not progressive enough, even though he put out a. It was a very progressive book at the time. Anyway, here, like, 
you've, you've heard of space theory. Ah, they, this package of the wheat and the cattle and stuff, it, was, it, it created this technological explosion and that's blah, blah, blah. Okay, you come to the New World, you have corn, which is the, uh, it's, not the it's not the most efficient food in the world. But it is, it is pro- it has the best, it probably the best balance. Uh, when we, as soon as we got here, we were like, ah, oh, fuck wheat. Uh, I'm, I'm growing this stuff now. I'm growing corn. Well, the other, well, the other one, potatoes, the most efficient food stuff on the planet. It is what created the, the population boom in Ireland and Germany, and it, it revolutionized the way people. Uh, Conduct like the way they lived in Europe. Literally everywhere in the world, there is wars, and uh, as soon as the and that's culture, hits. and 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 that was the they adopted these things into their culture. Yes, corn, maize, whatever you want to call it, and potatoes did not exist in Europe before uh, before the colonial contact. Mm-hmm. So my question for Jared Diamond would be: All right, if this is the accidents with geography and history, you had these people who had who had uh, domesticated corn. It was. If you look at what corn looked like when Europeans arrived and what Europeans turned it into within a couple of generations, it's pretty funny. It's like it was a, it was a very quick evolution once mm-hmm. people who understood agriculture got a hold of it. You have this land that goes if, – if, you, if you're going from Mexico, you can go up the Gulf Coast. There's no reason that an uh, American empire, pre-Columbian empire, should not have have gone up through the Gulf Coast, and then from there they could have gone, you know, as as, as far as far as the Mid Atlantic or, or higher with corn, with potatoes. There should have been huge settled societies in the, in, in the continental United States and and Mesoamerica beyond the Aztecs. I'm, Every large so, empire was powered by horses in Eurasia, all of them. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. Without exception, that's the thing. And sorry if you weren't done. Go ahead. No, well, okay, okay, F- fair enough. So it's the horse, you- the horse, the wheel, and language. It's the name of one of these pop anthropology books. You should pick it up. Horse, the wheel, and language. It's about the expansion of the Indo-Europeans. It's it's been criticized by woke people. It's it's a decent one. Right. So you 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 think it's simpler than all this? It's just a fact about you don't have the Look, horse. All these other changes that you're talking about are cultural and innate changes that are developed based on the values of their culture. So yeah, over time they became this superior culture and they expanded more. the the best The, the best thing for calling them superior is the fact that they were able to expand. Like I'm not saying they're better than everyone else, but the numbers don't lie. 45% of the languages are rooted in, in Indo-European. And these other things, everything attached, the the genetics, the, the cultural traditions, it's all rooted in the geography originally. So the geography is what is in the way back. It's the very, very root. But, you know, it's not exactly the way that Jared Diamond makes it out. But all the, the culture and, the, and, and everything else, that comes with it. It, it changes because as their culture changes, like the, your culture changes, changes whether you're a polygamist or a monogamist and, and the way that people like have kids. It's like there's all these different things that, you know, we're, we'll do another episode whenever you guys want to have me on. I'll come on next week. But at the same time, here's the other thing. Look, they were very different. Cultural relativism, okay? They're very different. They don't have the horse. They're very strong in other ways. But the problem is that all of these diseases, we talk about the diseases, mm-hmm. The diseases that the Europeans gave to the Native Americans, it goes back to the to the domesticated animals. All the diseases that Eurasians had 
come from these animals. And over 3,000 years, all of these different plagues came in, the bubonic plague, smallpox, measles, typhus, tuberculosis, all of them. These would come in individually and kill 10 to 30% of a regional population. All of those individually, over time, they grow an immunity to it, some of the people living there. Every single one of those diseases got dropped on the Native Americans at the same time. This estimate of the death of 90% of Native Americans is not an exaggeration. Maybe it's 80 or 70%, but think about the cultural impact of 70% even of your society dying, which is a low estimate. 90, 80% of your society dies, your culture's gone. You're dead. All of the connections, all of the people, these patronage networks are destroyed. You have to create it from the ground up again. It's a complete crisis. And then on top of that, that's what killed most of the people. On top of that, you got these people coming in and it, at this time when everything is burning, everyone's dying because even most of these Native Americans died without ever seeing a white person because these yeah. pigs got launched, just, just released and they dropped all these diseases and they kept coming and they kept coming like smash mouth. Just kept coming, killed all of them. What I would have loved to see is take the diseases out of it. Don't even worry about the horses. Have the Aztecs fight the greatest empire over there. The Aztecs, by the way, with Synoptic land, without animals, they had the densest city in the world, denser than Beijing, not higher population, denser than Beijing, denser than Constantinople, denser than Paris and London. And the only city in Europe that had an absolute number larger in population was Constantinople in 1492 when Columbus first came to the Americas, then to Noctocline. It was a massive city. The, the, pro, the I think, yeah, uh, the, the, the disease thing, obviously that's true because so many, so many people died. But yeah. I think when you get back to it, like, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, these are people who are between, you know, if you want to be really nice about it, they're in the bronze, you could say bronze age, but not really. They're not even bronze age level. It's like it, it, even it, those it, are, you know, they're Western ideas, which is fine, but they're Western ideas of understanding yeah. the world. But if if you're if you're writing a book about this, about why did this happen, why did these people, and, and like this, this is ultimately what you have to, what we have to understand about his book and what he was trying to do, is that he's not like, he's not looking at the scene of a crime and saying like, well, why did this happen? What he's trying to do is make up an excuse for why the people who did that, these people who, uh, or, you know, originally came from the steppes and brought all this technology that, uh, in social technology and language and proto-cultures that dominated the planet. Well, it was just, it was a roll of the dice. Maybe. Or maybe there was something, there was something about those people when they looked at those weird little, like, you know, by the way, a horse, when they were first tamed, looks nothing like a horse today. They're, yeah. they're Investigation in, is, by definition, a changing of the genetic information of the Because, I mean, uh, uh, sorry, there are horse-like animals other places in the world. Like, in, in, uh, in Africa, they got zebras. And you can't you you can ride a zebra. You can train a zebra to to carry stuff and to, to do the things that the horse can do. People have done it, but the people who lived around zebras never did it. They 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 saw the same thing that these people saw. Now that's they a decent didn't. question. That's the, a better question because to me it is still rooted in their environment because those people became those people based on their environment. But you look at the zebra. That's a good question. Yeah, and, and you know, whatever llamas, alpacas. You can't. You couldn't ride a, a llama or an alpaca. But and also, they were in. They couldn't have used them. They were in in the. Those right. were in the Incas area. Right, right. I'm saying, but no. But the people there, they didn't. They, whatever selective breeding they did to the. If 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 you go by the fossil record, the uh, llamas and alpacas didn't change very much over 
the but by the way, the Incan and the South American uh, native empires were much older than the Aztec, far, far older. They weren't as dense, but they had more continuous civil, we'll say civilizations. It was they like an ta- actual civilization. The Aztecs were the Assyrians. Don't worry about them. They, they were- had time to make moves, and they didn't make these moves. If you if you take me and you hand me a lump of clay, I I, I could I, I got a lump of clay. I could make it into a ball or something. If you give a if you give a lump of clay to Michelangelo, he's going to turn it into something beautiful. And that's the difference. And I, like I'm sorry, that's the difference between when when you have the the contact between two groups of people. And one group did the Michelangelo thing. They're going to win. It's not the same amount of time, though, because people were in Europe and Asia for tens of thousands of years longer. Like the 12,000 years ago, America has been discredited. It's longer than that. We don't know how much longer it is. It's maybe 25,000, maybe more. How long were they in Africa? And and like I said, I'm not not going to answer that question, but that's a better question. Right, right. And, that, and that's this is why he that's this is what I was getting at. This is why he focuses so much on the New World, despite his right. book being about new, uh, originally about a question a guy from New Guinea asked him. He's totally focusing on this one particular case in in history and r- wrote a book full of cope. But to, <laughs> there to, to is try to evidence of the process starting in the Americas at least, like the alpacas yes. and llamas. They did use them for wool, and they did have guinea mm-hmm. pigs, so they did do it. You know. Yeah, I mean, they they had, cult, they had cultivated maize. It went from little tiny things that weren't much bigger than a stalk of wheat to, to something a little bit rice bigger. Rice was domesticated independently in Africa as well yes. as in uh, China as well. Something they didn't know in Jared Diamond's time. Right. In, in his book, he, he writes about rice being domesticated, I think, only in East Asia, but they subsequently found out that wasn't true, right? Yeah. You just said you just said it wasn't true, so right. there you go. So I, I think that it, we didn't talk, we didn't, you don't have to talk a lot about this book because it doesn't matter because it's an artifact of its time. He was trying to Which is bridge. Fine. He was trying to make a bridge between you know the 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 boomer libs and the Gen X and what eventually the and then Gen X libs and the millennials came along and said you're basically a Nazi for doing this. You were you yeah. were too nice to you were too nice to the to the people who invented the wheel. You needed to be you needed to be meaner to them. That is what is is their view of him now. If you Google if you Google like criticisms of, of guns, germs, and steel. If you did it in 97, it would probably be that, well, this is qu- this some, some questionable stuff. We didn't have the sources. And now it would be like, this is basically uh, Mein Kampf you know, f- for, for uh, anthropologists. Yeah. Can I get a couple things out or you guys got to no, go? Yeah, 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 this go, is go, you, go, go. the last word. Go okay. okay. Let, me, let me get these notes out. So um, hunter-gatherers, you were talking about them before. They are less dense than settled peoples. That's basically the difference. You will hear all about that in Yuval Noah Harari, who is a, he's a globalist type guy. Um, like he's connected to Klaus Schwab, but it's a, still a good big history, big anthropology book. Um, that um, That's built into the culture of hunter-gatherers. Hunter-gatherers, they really do. I know it's a thing about like people like look at native americans and they're like oh my god they're so perfect but like it's true of hunter gatherers other native other hunter gatherers as well that they have more sustainability built into their culture they're they not have to. they yeah they don't have this this idea it's a very puritan very western very indo-european idea of growth that is cultural partly um yeah traits were bred into people for what works so the people that became the indo-europeans like the geography is is a factor at the root of it um yeah. Uh, and, and there's other specific examples of different geographies producing similar cultures 
across different areas, like the plains to the to the steppes in Asia. But that's a question for another time. Um, yeah. So these the, big- have you seen the graphs on the average breast size in Japan? <laughs> Sorry, continue. Is this a milk thing? Um, yeah. So. Uh, so there are these big anthropology books. If you want to get an anthropology, you want these different perspectives. These books have their problems, but I still recommend you read them. Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs, and Steel, The Dawn of Everything, David Graeber and David Wengrow. That's like the left-wing cultural take. And then the globalist take from Yuval Noah Harari's um, past, whatever that is. Those, those have a lot of theories, which will give you a pretty good uh, position. The other thing, Genghis Khan and the making of the modern world. He was an exterminator. You're right. But sometimes these forces, they come in. Genghis Khan and the making of the modern world is because Genghis Khan came in and it's like from a zealot perspective, it would be a purification. Yeah. They came in, killed everything up from the ashes like a phoenix, new things grew. And that's what happened. Like things at the end of their lifespan, something's going to take them out. It's Maybe the Genghis black Khan death, the death for us. That's that's you know one of the leading theories of what happened. You know, If you're talking about North Sea Protestant people who really, like, re- honestly overtook the Spanish and, and ran the world and the British and Americans. That, you could say that was what, that was the, the inciting incident, the clearing out of all these people with the black during the black death. It has been heavily researched that a high, a high, um, high population density is associated with a lower respect for um, a, a lower value on human life. And it's yeah. also true that exploitative systems for example, systems based on slavery, based on like um, institutionalized slavery, as well as systems like the encomienda system, caste systems in um, that happened in Latin America and systems in India, like the caste system. These are systems that are for complex societies to sustain their growth. They are not they, to sustain them themselves sustainably, like like hunter gatherers would, maybe not as good. But what you see in in the cultures that actually expand and grow out is that they are more meritocratic. And this is you know part of the reason I think that northern culture, sorry, wins out over southern culture in the Civil War. Ultimately, is because exploitative systems do not allow this growth. Sorry, I, I that might be <laughs> that that one might be controversial, and I apologize for saying this at the very end when you came. No, I think I think that's, no. that's fairly obvious. I mean, like, uh, yeah, if you had take like uh, like people love the culture of the Wild West, the cow- mm-hmm. that but that that culture couldn't have, you know, that's a frontier culture. It does it does certain things. Blah blah. blah. But yeah, no, uh, thank you. I mean, uh, Merrick, do you have anything else? I know you like this. I'll just say that, you know, the hunter-gatherers, their lifestyle, like more sustainable, uh, not more peaceful, but you could say they're, they're, the way they lived was clo- would be closer to the, like the, you know, the frontier ideal. is not It's not hunter-gatherer, but there's something to it. It's low density. You're kind of, you're making your own decisions. It's a, in yeah. some ways the opposite of the agricultural... Uh, conquest societies that destroyed it, but the problem is, is that historically, if you're, you're if you're that, you lose. I, I, I'm sure it was a be- it was beautiful to, to, if you lived in like uh, in Virginia before the Columbian times. It was a beautiful place. You could walk around in nature. You could get you could forage and stuff. And you know what? The people in France did that too until guys in chariots came and killed them all. Yeah, and that's the thing. If I had to wrap it all up, the thing that kind of um. What's the Hegel thing? Synthesis. The synthesis here was was the United States because we came along so late that the firearm existed. Because mm-hmm. the firearm lets you 
kind of even the odds out. You can be the frontier guy, and you can you can live on you can live on the land, and you can defend yourself, and you don't necessarily need an, an, uh, an army of thralls to to fight for you. Sam, the problem with Samuel Colt can just mail you some Walker revolvers. Yeah, Exa exactly, exactly. The wind, you know, you got your Winchester rifle. Yeah. And why why does America why is America starting to suck now? Because we're no longer a low density frontier place. We're becoming uh, yeah. a high dense like one of those high density the societies that is a bureaucratic slave nightmare. All right, I got one more. Uh, so yeah, the daily too. experience of the the difference between these two these two modes is um if you're the, if you're the frontier guy you spend all day you're looking for water if you're the the other guy uh you're sharing you're sharing a disgusting well yeah. that everyone knows where there's pig shit in it and all this kind of stuff that you know where the water is at but it's kind of gross blah 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 uh, yep. but your yeah. color blah, blah blah same thing so. What I'll leave with is and number one, yes, that's perfect, Bog. Um, and number, I mean the the Wild West is like thirty years, so it's you know it is similar in certain ways, but it's like it's not a sustainable thing. It was a growth related thing. Um, so on the process of American culture, like Winchester rifle at its time was the culmination of four thousand five hundred years of Indo-European history into that glorious weapon that helped win the West, and the United States by extension is the culmination of Indo-European. It is the culmination of Anglo culture, which is the extension of Indo-European in its greatest form. And I'm saying that as someone who is ethnically Celtic, whose great grandfather fled Ireland because the Anglos were committing genocide. But guess what that meant? That meant that I, through those factors, adopted the culture of Indo of I uh, still Indo-European, but I adopted Anglo culture in America. And now I help perpetuate it with what I do. Um, and look, that I that is what it is. I don't I have mixed feelings about that, but that is what it is. And that is the understanding of what it is. And as for America, as we are doing what we are, what what everybody should understand is that when collapse looks likely, they're, they're, this is in almost every religious tradition. When collapse looks likely, when the, when the when America, when any country is in its most difficult situation, you can look back on hindsight and see civilizations failing. What you can also look back on is you can see crises that lead to things like the Greatest Generation. And what America has right now is the opportunity to reignite its culture based on. The, the technological factors and everything that's happening in our country, every all the bad things that are happening, it brings it to a head where people, where enough of the people in, in the country, in the culture, they understand that something needs to change. And what can happen there is a new rebirth from the ashes of something that has atrophied in its age. And those institutions can can be reignited and reformed with knowledge from the past, but with understandings of of the new situation and, and into the future. And I believe in the American culture and I believe in who we are as a people. And I believe that we will come back from everything that we're doing right now and we won't last forever. But this is not the fall of the Roman Empire. This is the fall of the Roman Republic and we will be greater than we ever were. Hell yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you? Ill Scholar on Twitter, Illegitimate Scholar on all podcasting networks and on uh youtube and you can join my discord come join the discussion everything i do is about humans there's no illegitimate scholar there's there's no institutions here you're human so your perspective is important no matter what job you do and no matter what some fucking asshole yankee that looks and talks like me but treats people with disrespect that don't think like them acts like awesome thank you thank you they can